Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Are you there? Maybe you're muted. record frater how are you doing i'm doing well how are you i'm i'm doing very well yes yes this is a this is a treat thanks for taking the time to talk to me uh, it's my pleasure thanks for having me on yeah it's been fun chatting with you uh over i first heard about you um through our, our viennese friend rudolph when mm. i was uh doing a little lecture thing in europe in 2019 and that's when i got turned on to you and it's been great. I've, I think I've heard all of your glitch bottle stuff and probably every other thing, interview you've done and done um, the, uh, was it Goetia course? Yeah, with Masterclass with uh, Jason Augustus Newcomb. So I, I did that during quarantine down in California. Oh, okay. So that's sort of what I know of your work and I'm almost finished reading your first book. But you and I, beyond all that, have a, a mutual love and history of practice for many years with a very mystical art. And I've always wanted to talk to you about it since I found that out. So I'm, my first question really is to be all formal about it. What do you think, I started practicing the Gogyo as a teenager when I first started classes and training. And it was a lot of training. Like, you know, I went from Taekwondo to that. And um, the Gogyo became like a Tai Chi sort of introduction. And I've learned since then that not everyone has the same standard practice of the Gogyo. So what can you tell me about the Gogyo in your practice of this ancient art that we both love well if i know the the translation the uh if you're referring to the same thing as like the the godai or the if you could pronounce it one more time the gogyo gogyo yeah the gogyo that you know the elemental movements yeah we yeah we call it yeah the sunshin or the godai sunshin like the the big the big five but and that's why i thought it would be the same since it has go in it but um, it's yeah, a, a lot of magical practice, right? It, it is. I, it's interesting how um, with uh, with ninjutsu and such, my school kind of takes on a little bit more of the 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 toshindo um, kind of reference 
where they really expound on the Godai or the Sunshin, where the, in its basic movements and such, uh, they're found, you know, within Gyokoryu and, and the, there's some foundational, but the, the Bujinkan doesn't really focus on that or, or really work um, elemental, I guess, methods or techniques really beyond that. They're not, they're not that focused on, but they are in my class. And I know that uh, Stephen Hayes and Toshindo, it's, he expounded upon that as well. And uh, the way that my teacher, I think he was influenced by Hayes as well. And, um, and I kind of asked my teacher even more about it because I was already studying about the hermetic things and hermetic magic. So it made a lot of sense to me. So I latched on to that. And it's something that I've expounded on in, in my own dojo where uh, I see a lot of value uh, in the training beyond just the physical movements. Um, it's teaching people to kind of adapt their bodies in different ways. And um, I see it as just like the uh, yeah, Kung, Fu, uh, Kung Fu, you know, adapting movements from animals and such, um, you know, ninjutsu in that respect, you can really kind of adapt the, at least the symbolic and metaphorical meanings of, of these elements. Um, being sturdy like earth or, you know, crafty and being able to flow back in, in like water and aggressive like fire and basically move around and, and um, redirect energy with wind and, and the void kind of being the, the emptiness and potential of all of these four. So um, I really do use that my, my own training in my own school, just because I think they're a very valuable training model and it, it makes a lot of sense to me personally. Very cool. Have you, have you done the fifth Dan test? I have, yep. And it's been actually quite a while since I've uh, tested for my Shidoshi fifth Dan. Uh, it was in Japan. It was under Hatsumi directly. It was in 2008 when I passed wow. my, my Godan, my Shidoshi wow. license. So, yeah, Brother, that is so fucking hardcore. That's fucking <laughs> hardcore. I think people don't realize that, I mean, you know, uh, you're probably one of the world's most famous magicians now. But I think people don't realize what you've done in the in the ninjutsu world, which is also very extensive and exciting. Like I would love to, I'd love. I have never got the show down. I'd love to get that under you. You could beat me up for a bit, and you know, get, <laughs> get me get me through to finish that journey. I've always said I'll finish that, but I I, uh, I think that I usually I would only work my way up to fourth queue before I'd have to take a break for several years. You know, mm. age. Yeah, it's it's been an awesome journey in that that regard too it's it was always a, a fantasy of mine to to go to japan and, and to meet uh hatsumi and the the whole trip there i actually uh went there with with my now wife and and uh we've been married for over 10 years but we weren't even married when when we went um she was training uh as well and i took uh her and and two other students uh with me and uh, we were there for a few weeks and trained at the at the Hambu at the ninja headquarters, basically with Hatsumi Sensei. And um, every day, just you know, something amazing was was going on. Um, and yeah, we had a blast. And I was lucky enough to to test and pass under him there. Yeah, that's so amazing. Did he have the uh, the color, the purple hair? He was didn't that, actually. It was that was before that? Yeah, before I think it was the just purple hair. hair. Right. Yeah, that's amazing. So <laughs> He is such a national living treasure, isn't he? He is. Yeah, he's very, he's very interesting. And, and my experience there was um, very interesting to me because it, there were, were a lot of people, there's a lot of Westerners and, and uh, it's, you know, it's a, 
pretty small town where the the Hambu Dojo is. Yeah. And um, even though I was there, I thought I would just kind of uh, blend in and, um, you know, just be one of the, the many students. But for whatever reason, he pulled me aside. And this was before I tested for my for my Godan. And um, I speak uh, fair Japanese and, you know, he speaks just a couple words of, of English, but he wanted to know. Understand. Yeah, exactly. Understand, you know, play. Space, play. And, uh, space play understand and then yeah. something i don't know yeah. tell me tell me more yeah but he uh he he wanted to know you know who my teacher was where i was staying and he was he was very interested in me for for some reason and asked a lot of questions about my background and it was nice getting to um to talk to him and uh, where i was staying I was actually staying with with one of the the mother-in-laws uh she had some some rooms and, and everything that you could stay in and um of one of the Shihan and uh, I was out taking out some of the trash and stuff for her and actually ran into him in the morning walking his dog. So I, I got to talk to the, the grandmaster out in the morning, just walking his dogs as well in the little town. So that was kind of a neat treat as well. Wow. Wow. Yeah. We used to pass, like we would pass these videotapes, VHS back and forth to like just watch study sessions. You know, they had these like cassette tapes, VHS that we would, uh, we would smuggle and and copy and share with each other so we could watch the different masters in 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 japan they each of them has such a different style don't they do you have a favorite one of the masters that you would say represents you know the yeah. art form the in the way that you like it most because they're each subtly so different but it isn't overt it's just their style right you know I, definitely definitely and i and it's hard for me to say because i haven't uh, gotten to train with all of them extensively, but my direct lineage, uh, my sensei and Shidoshi trained under uh, Ishizuka sensei in, in Japan. That's actually the mother-in-law who, I, who yeah, I stayed with. Yeah, and, he, uh, he was probably the best or my favorite. He, yeah, I, I definitely have to say that how I learned and how my my body and my personal taijutsu is adapted is, is definitely through his um, his particular take on, on Ninpo taijutsu. So um, and I trained, if I wasn't at the Hambo, I was training with Ishizuka sensei. So um, I would have to say, you know, that, yes, he's my favorite. I think I would have found that out anyways, but he, I yeah. haven't really gotten to train all that much with the others. It's pretty much been under him um, and through my teacher and then Hatsumi sensei. So. Very cool. And your, your school's closed though, right now for COVID and all that, right? Uh, actually, no, we only closed, I think, for about a month uh, for when uh, it was going on. And we're such a small school that, uh, you know, we were kind of, when it was on lockdown and everything, we would, um, you know, kind of take things easy. And my school's not all that huge. So we don't have like 50, I don't have 50 students or anything uh, packed in. But um, after that, we've been keeping the training going in, in one form or another. And um, Luckily, we're not on lockdown now and things are on the decline. And um, I've signed up a, a few more students and, and it's been going strong. So I'm very fortunate, very rare that way that I've been able to, to continue uh, to train. Yeah, that's awesome. They, uh, in October, they canceled uh, our training, even though we were just outdoors under a bridge doing like, you know, distanced bow work and, and tumbling mainly. And now a word from our sponsors. 
While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or six dollars a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot. Plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. But yeah, it's canceled. Hopefully we'll be back soon. Yeah, hope, hope so. It's it's hard to see so many really good schools and, and a lot of things have to have to close down because of that. Yeah. So what else is new? Um, what are you working on? What's going on? What's your take on the occult world these days? Uh, it's it's really exploded in several facets, you know, and, and definitely through social media, and uh, just like other topics and points in social media that you've get a lot of benefits and then a lot of problems that come with it at the same time. So it's, it's always one with the other um, sort of thing. But uh, on the positive note, we have at least in, in one of my areas, I guess, that I'm known for and that uh, I have a, a major interest in is, is classical uh, manuscripts of magic and, and Western, um, Western classical magic uh, ceremonial magic in particular. And uh, there's more scholars and amazing minds and uh, people getting access uh, and digital copies being made in, in libraries of manuscripts that have been basically obscure and, and, and just kind of lost in, in the shuffle and untranslated. A lot of these things are coming to light. So there's a lot of uh, work and um, people translating and, and discovering these things and, and talking about it. And um, it's really neat to see in the occult world, just the, we have access and scholars and um, the ways to get a hold of, of magical manuscripts that um, ha has not been accessible probably since they were in circulation. So it's a really exciting time for um, people that are interested in that particular area of magic uh, right now to to really get their hands on things and, and uh, be able to try and, and replicate or um, kind of devise um, work abilities through certain systems um, and, and really try it out for themselves. And even if they're not interested in practicing um, purely from the academic sense, uh, we're able to see more famous things like uh, derivatives of the Key of Solomon or um, the Luchidarium and Heptameron and, and a lot of these books and grimoires um, that um, you know, we've, we found related text and translations and, and um, versions that um, are really exciting to, to see just how um, diver well diverse in some sense and also widespread um, a lot of these practices were. So uh, that's been ex exciting. Um, it's a revolution. Seeing, yeah, it really is. I mean, I, there's probably more people into this type of magic and other types than than ever before in history. And, and now we're all kind of linked together through, you know, Facebook and other uh, media sources and being able to share and discuss and, and, um, and really broaden our horizons that way. So it is exciting to see. You can do Enochian magic with Lon Milo on Zoom. Right. Yeah. And he's been doing a lot of <laughs> online and, and uh, that's sort <laughs> of awesome sharing his work, but yeah, it's really interesting. I like, uh, I like Lon and, and, and uh, he was one of my, my early, um, I should say inspirations for, for getting into this uh, type of thing. So he's, he's a really neat 
uh, gentleman and um, he really has a really neat particular take on, on how he does Inaki magic and, and um, other forms of, of uh, ceremonial magic in his own respect. Yeah, I only I only met him a few years ago, and I didn't really know his work before that. Uh, he, even though he wrote a lot of good books for beginners, in the in the Golden Dawn, it was very taboo in my day twenty years ago to read anything OTO. So I, I missed out on all of Lon's stuff, and only when I met him and started looking at his stuff, well, I did a Nokian work with him, and he took me to a Gnostic Mass here in Vancouver, and and then I was like, oh, this guy's amazing. Maybe I should revise my whole view of the OTO in general and the people in it, and I did. I did. Nice. Um, he's he's such a remarkable person. I hope to jam with him someday. Yeah, he's yeah he's just a, a fantastic and definitely a, a talented uh, musician as well. Yeah. Do you play music? Um, not uh, I. In my own ways, I play. Um, I have kind of like a, a walking stick uh, flute that I play, but it's uh, I wouldn't call myself a musician by any stretch. Like in Kill Bill basically that's what it looks like and uh of course you do I'll go out <laughs> i'll go out in the woods play. and just play what's that guy's name the bad guy in kill bill bill oh, bill yeah <laughs> right oh of course his name is bill sorry <laughs> jesus christ oh my god you you're the wizard bill like, <laughs> i'm sorry it's that's just too funny of course you do you're such a yeah you're such a diverse thing and you have a whole celtic uh, appreciation to you as well like uh, so many of us it seems yeah that's that's probably where i i started and had my earliest experiences i think with um were you running around and, the woods with like celtic pagans and festivals and, and yeah. frolicking were you one of those guys well kind of actually me and, and my scryer that um it fits into extensively in my second book where we worked all together um, we met uh, many, many years ago uh, due to a common interest in, in Celtic Druidry and Celtic Paganism, and we formed a, a Druidic Grove, and um, some other people join, and we'd celebrate the fesh and, and the holidays and, um, you know, review the stories and, and did all kinds of really neat things, and, and uh, he very much continued on with it, even when I, I kind of stepped away um, from the pagan group and, and got interested in in classical magic and I, I spent most of my time doing that um he learned irish we were just starting to learn irish together but he he's like fluent in it now and, yes yeah <laughs> and uh yeah i've pretty much forgotten everything but he's he's quite uh quite uh fluent and and uh has been to ireland a few times and uh his his knowledge is really excellent in that so um, yeah, it used to be very much, and I still have kind of a uh, an affinity and a love for a lot of it in the stories and traditions, even though um, my you know my focus is kind of elsewhere these days, both uh, spiritually slash religiously and and uh, within the realm of magic. But uh, yeah, there's well, it's hard to avoid the Judeo-Christian stuff doing what we do, right? <laughs> it's just it's yeah. one of those, like you'd have to rewrite so much if you should even rewrite it at all. Sure. And luckily there's not much um, conflict. And uh, I was even, I think the last conclave we have was actually in Vancouver. I was there. Um, no way. Last oh, year, the year sure. before, but yeah. The, Dude, you uh, were here, you were in my town when I was in Europe. That sucks. I would have yeah. <laughs> so, oh, but uh, I had to go yeah, to Europe and discover you. Could have met up otherwise, but uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm ordained um, as a deacon so far. I'm in seminary uh, for the priesthood for the 
apostolic Johannite uh, church, and it's you know it's not. Well, I heard of those guys. Yeah, it's it's really been the good fit for me, where I really get some. Um, a lot of the classical training and, and uh, the liturgy and, and uh, a lot of the knowledge is very similar in line with uh, especially the traditional and classical grimoire uh, framework, but um, definitely doesn't have the uh, restrictive. It's, it's very much inclusive that way and um, you know can mesh quite well with um, other philosophies and viewpoints, which definitely works. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of those. I like the independent Catholic traditions, for lack of a better term, if you mm -hmm. like. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, the, 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 there's some. Uh, I had to leave. I, I had to leave the Roman Catholic Church. I did start seminary as a Roman Catholic, but after a year, I got divorced and switched to the Anglican Church <laughs> <laughs> for the rest of seminary till I graduated. And uh, that's just, uh, you know, both the archbishops on the roman catholic side and the anglican side negotiated with me about the change isn't that crazy wow that is yeah oh, like whoa like uh, I, you know it's this is vancouver of course so like everyone's pretty liberal and chill for even the ones that are wacko are still sort of chill so they were chill <laughs> bishops and they just figured it out you know they're like yeah let's we got to trade this guy that's awesome yeah, that's it, was, uh, it was a strange thing but then I ran off to Europe and joined cool. the Celtic band. Oh, nice. Yeah, as one does. <laughs> as one does. So did you and yeah. uh, you and your scryer, Stefan, yes. Um, Nachwil, Stefan? Yeah, Ben. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, did you ever try and uh, work yeah, with some Celtic gods? Did you, um, did you not there, not, at least Irish? not using that, um, but not using the, the system that I was using. So it was... Uh, it's pretty interesting. I would go over um, a lot during Solon and, and some of the session and he would do like a guided underworld um, journey and stuff. And I, and, and uh, I was amazed how well uh, my vision would work um, during those. But um, actually the, the start of um, the book, Gateways Through Light and Shadow was I was, um, I'm also a hypnotherapist and um, I noticed, I can't remember. I've lost you for a second. Uh-oh. I'm some Celtic deities. Sorry, was... you, were, you were gone till just now. You just came back. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Um, so I'm sketchy glad. Canadian internet. I'll blame it on that. Yeah, it happens. But uh, yeah, I was saying that the, um, the start of the second book uh, for Gateways Through Light and Shadow. Which uh, is actually, let's just mention to people, that's actually on sale now in a fabulous edition through Miskatonic Books. Right. Yep. Yeah. That was so, off press from so it's, You can get this beautiful, it's blue with a gold or gold or silver stamp for only mm -hmm. 175 instead of normally 275 Nice. This Excellent. is correct, right? I'm just trying to let people know where they can find your stuff as we go along, you know, subtle marketing. Right. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even know. Well, that. it's a, <laughs> I, I, I let people know about a sale that Tony, uh, this, yeah, Tony or Skinner. Oh, Stephen Skinner. Stephen Skinner. Sorry, I'm a little stoned. Um, Stephen Skinner. <laughs> God. Uh, Stephen Skinner had a sale on, and I had ordered the book, a special edition, and I did such a good job letting. Uh, well, and then and then uh, something happened, and I needed to reorder it. But I'd done such a good dot job telling people about the sale; it was sold out. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. So that that's that was pretty uh, pretty funny. 
because <laughs> yeah I, I didn't get the book myself because so many people had bought it on my recommendation so it made me realize I should let people know when there's a good deal on you and your your second book which I'm very excited to read because the insights in your first one are pretty awesome um, yeah I appreciate that and yeah that's kind of what I was saying when we were talking about the the Celtic deities it, it actually came about that way because I was I said it was a I'm a hypnotherapist and I was going to guide him on this astral journey and, and the expectation was he would come in contact with some of the Celtic deities I was interested to hear but um, it actually ended up being uh, an angel that um, he made contact with um, through going through this door you know this, through this visualization and such under hypnosis and that uh, wasn't even an angel I had heard of um, but had to mask his name and we verified it and the angels pretty much going on about, Hey, we had work to do together and, and a lot of the work would be very important. So to pretty much get on it, that was kind of the, that was the start of, of the book and, and all of the contents was um, going off that and then going through these journeys together. So it was pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, I sort of avoided grimoire work most of my magical life because in, in the golden dawn, you, you, get trained in it in the in order but you don't necessarily get that encouraged to pursue it unless you want to right you sort of choose a specialization and mm -hmm. focus on what you want to so i always put off grimoire work and i'm so glad i did because now we've got all of Sk uh, skinner's work peterson's work and then there's you know people like you and aaron leach and and stratton kent like who have provided such a smooth transition through all the levels that you could possibly want to take the work as a magician yeah i appreciate that and i i love hearing how people have you know they've uh, used the book to really sink into their their own workings and experiences and and what i love to see is them uh, getting feedback and and messages from people that have have tried it for themselves and and uh, they're having um all sorts of things happen and you know practical changes in their life of course but also the pretty phenomenal experiences it's really neat to see yeah i think you're very responsible for uh, a shift in how serious people take this stuff and and for that i thank you because um that was always a challenge to find people who took this stuff very seriously and it, it's really a lot of a lot of the results does come from taking it that much that seriously you highlight the importance of making the tools before the ritual as important as the ritual itself like this is stuff that you know, it's in, you can find it in the orders, but it wasn't really well said in public. And you did that. And did you have any background in Golden Dawn orders, OTO stuff at all? Or did you just come from the more pagan world into ceremonial magic and, you know, grimoire work? I would have to say the solitary work. I never joined a specific order. I, you know, I had the book and worked from uh, self-initiation into the, the Golden Dawn and then, um, you know, modern magic even earlier than that. So yeah, well, um, modern magic, even, right? yeah. yeah, even still today and, and even in my second book, um, and it's a little bit uh, tweaked and everything, but um, exploring the elemental realms, I use the, the um, opening by uh, the Watchtower ritual. You do? such and yeah and oh uh, my god that that's i'm so happy to hear that because <laughs> i was i was sort of curious like does this guy totally eschew that realm of rituals i know you you and your wife have talked about the lbrp and glitch bottle and stuff but i wasn't sure how far down that rabbit hole you'd gone because the watchtower is such a beautiful ritual isn't it 
It is. And it's just like, you know, the, the banishing rituals and stuff, it's, it, it still proves to be effective. So, so I use it. Um, it's, um, yeah, there, there are things and, and tools that, uh, um, have that since I began doing ceremonial magic at some of the earlier things that I did, but, um, I still use them because they, they st still work very well. And the, uh, the opening my watchtower rituals is something that, um, I experimented in early and in, in even before I got into the grimoire and classical stuff and had some amazing effects with it. So, um, so I still use it. I've just, um, combined a lot of the, the class of the golden dawn use. It's just like, uh, the elemental weapons and the, and the tools, I have my own set that I still use um, to contact those realms and beings specifically, um, but I've kind of have my own take with it and then I combine even some classical stuff like um, levying some of the, the prayers to the elementals and such and things like that to, to um, yeah, I use those, those prayers a lot, the yeah. four elemental prayers. I think I think everyone should strive to have them memorized. I always tell my students to like not try and memorize it, just do it so frequently until you have it memorized. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's yeah, that is definitely the best. Best way to learn these things is mm -hmm. is not just just study them like a play script, but use them, do them, you know, do more ritual work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're you're definitely like part of this new wave of like of I, you know there's this debate on self initiation, but don't people like sort of you and Damian Eccles, and uh, I think Stephen Skinner's been initiated into orders, but who knows? But there's this new wave of of people who I think aren't proclaiming themselves as self initiates at all, like you aren't, Damian Eccles isn't, but that's what you are like self initiated adepts of these traditions because I always say there's no adepts in an ontological sense like there's initiates in in a in that sort of sense but adept is always adept of a system right you know like i'm adept of the golden right. dawn but that's it you know maybe some celtic fairy psychedelic stuff on the side but like when it comes to grimoire stuff i just know the basics and which is why i'm so excited to dive into it knowing having the you know the the skill set i have i loved in your book that you talk about tatwas and that you took those seriously yeah, it was another tools, and that's another thing. And I, you know, probably have to say the the Golden Dawn is adapted as well as as uh, another tool and one that uh, I use, and then I used with uh, my scryer as basically the the gateway, the astral gateway to um, explore these elemental realms, um, as I did, and I, I wanted to see if I could guide somebody else through it. And uh, those experiences are some of the earlier ones in, in my second book, um, because yeah, they're they're very effective uh, I, I had fun uh, using them when I was you know just starting out as, as part of the prescribed uh, um, practices and, and ritual and I think they're an excellent tool to use even when, as they've been adapted to lodge style magic or different ceremonial magic I think they work really well do, do you when you when you work with your um, elemental tools do you ever trace symbols with them or do you generally follow the teaching of keeping them in your left hand to sort of channel energy out of and then tracing with your right hand. I do that, but yes, I do um, uh, trace symbols. So the, the classical invoking and or, you know, banishing uh, pentagrams, I still use that and, you know, doing the, uh, the care of symbols um, within that's something that uh, I've done many times and it's neat to still see, I can still see it in the, the colors, but 
um, also different elemental symbols, um, a couple sets, one that was kind of, I guess I was inspired to draw on my personal system um, as I've worked with them. And uh, then some of the other uh, classical symbols that you can find related to the elements or elementals um, that way or, or ways that I use, um, use the tools and, and the weapons that way, depending on what I'm doing with them. Do you have, um, so you, obviously you're integrating Enochian in the watchtower, right? Hmm. Is that something you focus on outside of that? Or is it something you bring into more of your ritual work? Even though, uh, yeah, honestly, I haven't done extensive work with Enochian with the language or the system associated with John D. So oh, I'm glad you called it Enochian. That's how what I like to say. But then I sometimes I was talking to a famous dude like you, so I was like, I should say Enochian. Yeah, Enochian, Enochian. I, I know what people it's, are talking I, see, about. See, I, my focus in seminary was Hebrew language, so I'm like, it's Hanach, it's yeah, Hanach. Hanach. Like, it's Hanach. How about we say Hanachian? And every time I work with Enochian angels, they're always like, you sound like babbling children, but we understand you. <laughs> like right. we, we understand what you're saying. We're like, eh, the gaga and that's how I think it is. That's what I think it is. Mm. I also think it's something that was translated by Dean Kelly through extensive, like, like clairaudient auditory experiences of interacting with spirits through large doses of mushrooms. Like if you've taken large doses of mushrooms or dmt you've noticed there's a sound there's a language almost like they're talking i actually think it might be that mm. okian is their best approximation of what they were hearing on those large doses of psychedelics while doing ritual work mm. just to get my cards on the table i think that that might be the case quite possibly yeah quite in in as far as psychedelics and everything i have like zero um personal experience experience and experimentation um, well, obviously, but, no one on this podcast has ever done drugs. Yeah, <laughs> ever, ever. yeah, and and not that I and I'm um, not against it as well. I had a, a student, and where it was where he lived too, it was you know it was legal and it wasn't even an issue. And and we worked a lot. Um, he was even more dedicated, I'd say, than I was trying to get uh, the drawing spirits and the crystals system to work. And and um, he was struggling a lot, but he he. Uh, yeah, ayahuasca DMT ritualized that and, and things really started breaking loose for him. And he would explain what he experienced and so on. I'm like, yeah, that, that sounds legit. It sounds, you know, spot on, on on what should be, you know, happening. And not that it was, you know, the exact same of, of what I experienced, but it was, it was hitting on points where at least from what I could uh, take that he was, uh, he was achieving what he set out to in, in contacting the correct angels and, and beings. So um, yeah, definitely when it's used in, in these ritualized and um, intentional settings, I think it's, it's very viable that way. I just, I just haven't personally, and um, part of what uh, my profession outside of magic and everything uh, disallows me to do that. Otherwise I probably would give it more experimentation. Is that the, the hypnotherapy? No, no, I'm actually an armed um, security officer for military installation companies. Of course so. you are. You're, <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, you're, a, you're a Ronin. <laughs> or what's the, what's the proper word? What's the, I don't know. Dude, you no, know, it'd be cool if you recorded a, a seminar on Kujikiri for magicians. Kujikiri for magicians, yeah. And the... Kujikiri, watashi wa Kujikiri. <laughs> Nani? 
Money for uh, it would, uh, yeah, it would be interesting. I don't even consider myself like a uh, an authority, but I have been using it uh, for a while. I, I've been using it since I started doing ritual work at thirteen. Like Excellent. Nonstop, maybe since twelve in Wicca, my early Wicca Druid days. You know. Yeah. Like, and just like you said before, I think I mean that's I th you know if you're working with it and practicing with it continuously, dude, you're the um, bring person to bring that to the mainstream magical world. Like I can't. I'm like fourth Q. You're like fifth Dan. You got to do it. You got to do it. <laughs> I will buy that course. <laughs> well, when I I do actually, it's it's different. It's not uh, the Kujikiti system. Uh, directly, not even through the Mikio Buddhism set, but in my um, last in-person in class, the kind of foundations of, of ritual magics and ceremonial magic classes, um, I kind of go off that that Sanmitsu or that, that triple secrets um, modality, and I teach methods that I do for uh, like, and even combine them with, with things I learned in the Golden Dawn, the gestures, uh, the, the rending of the veil, um, the, um, the sign of silence and uh, methods of protection. Are you being um, on the sign of enterer, sign of silence? Like, I, the sign, yeah, the sign of the enterer. And I, and I have to give a, um, uh, basically a nod, uh, to, um, uh, to Jason Miller and such too, because I, use, I just got his book. Yeah. The, the method that he uses. So, you know, the hands there's, there's kind of a, uh, not just, uh, and open and close, but kind of um, uh, forward and back to create dimensional space. And and there's words, there's Latin words that um, I use. Um, yeah, I don't like the four dimension thing. Can I just mm. be honest? I don't, the four dimension, it seems too much, too much. Mm. Like, can't, couldn't we just keep it simple and then focus on the astral? I'm just being outspoken for the No, and for yeah, the, and I think the, if it works, especially if, especially if you've you know learned it that when you've used it over and over um, well they're in the golden dawn they're great signs right like they like the neo right. yeah the great signs like so it's it's i i said to on my class the yesterday you know i love that people if people see a powerful sign or mudra mudra and they want to integrate it i'm always like yeah fucking integrate it right but like it's sort of for us if you if it's a grade sign it's sort of like seeing two master masons do the handshake and be like oh that's cool and starting to do that right yeah and they don't know exactly what they're doing it's always a little weird it's like what to, what like i remember thinking because the symbol the grade signs meant nothing to me before i got initiated after i was initiated they were triggers for that magical initiation so the mm -hmm. idea that they mean something outside of that initiation sort of it never they never meant anything to me, right? The sign of the enter and sign of silence seemed ridiculous things to do in front of a pentagram. Like mm. why not just stab it or do any number of other things? But after the initiation, doing the sign of the enter and the sign of silence, it evoked this massive experience in my mind, right? Mm -hmm. So I do think people should integrate these things as much as they want, willy-nilly. I'm very, very chill in that sense. But it is, it's, 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 uh, it's similar to what you're saying with the, the ninjutsu and the kujikiri. Yeah, it's, they each have, you know, they're associated, um, well, they have the, a whole tradition and, and, and backing. And even as they're known and kind of um, taught in the, the Bujinkan in certain circles and ninjutsu, it's, it's a very much a, a modified version of uh, the origins of, of where that came from and, and what it means even and how they're supposed to be affecting like the 
the the kujian the the hand uh, mudras and such and also the the basically the mantra that goes with it um, the they have different effects and, and meanings and even translations through depending on which uh, your tradition you're going from it's it's a very interesting history and I would say the same with um, yeah the enter and then you know as it's associated with the golden dawn it has very specific uh, meanings and translations even energetically. Um, for the when, why, and, and how you use it. And then, you know, when people use it and, and do it outside of that system, yeah, it's, it's, it's different. It's going to have kind of a different connotation. Um, but uh, yeah, the ones that I've adapted and that I use personally are the ones that um, I go over and I share with, uh, with the students. And um, there's mention of the, the grade signs and such too, but there's other ones that are completely unrelated, like ones for shielding and protecting, but also stem from earlier traditions um, in the yogic practices and the mudras that way. But um, the meaning is, is still the same, but uh, I've adapted them for, for other things. Dude, I grew up in a, in a Maharishi, like Transcendental Meditation household, and then like went to Walder School for 13 years. So you can imagine what my, my experience of those things is. Yeah, for sure. It's... Um, it makes me wonder a lot if um, you think that syncretism or sort of the, the grimoire pure, puritanism, purism is that's happening today. Like you seem to stand in the middle ground between the two. Like I loved, I loved, there was a quote in your book that, um, that was like, um, be considerate, but not sort of closed minded. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, people always, they, they kind of always misplace me of where I stand you say careful consideration, but not blind adherence. That's what you said. Right, exactly. And that was beautiful, man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was fucking, I have a, two pages of questions. So, we, or no, one page, one page. If like, anyway, um, what careful consideration, but not blind adherence. So can you say more on that and the whole thing between like syncretism versus grimoire puritanism? Yeah, definitely. So purism, not puritanism. That's yeah, I got, yeah, I know. What you're <laughs> <laughs> uh, when it comes to the grimoires or any, you know, classical, you know, book of magic, there's, there's a few different thoughts. And, um, and even among the scholars and, and like with me and, and with uh, Jake and, and Aaron, a lot of these guys, and, you know, we, we agree on some points, we disagree on several other. Who's your favorite? Um, I definitely <laughs> am kind of a fan where it comes to the scholars. I, I have to say that Dr. Stephen Skinner is, is someone that I, I truly appreciate. Um, you, you know, his approach is very much in line, uh, you know, with with what I enjoy. But I, I do. I should have invited him on this. Yeah, he, he he's, said he he's doing me this month. To, yeah, I should have had you both well. on it. I, that would have been fun. <laughs> do you have any? What if you if you if you could ask him a question right now? What would it be? Oh, doctors. Well, if if I have a question for him, I usually just write him and ask he's pretty good at getting back to me <laughs> so well, I, know, I know all i know all but, you um, masters talk amongst yourselves but yeah no what's a what's a what's a trendy question that should be asked of him a trendy well one yeah, give me a question to him, ask or, him. Or, um and i love he won't hear this he explains as, as someone should ask him you know what what are the the basic requirements what what is needed for classical magic an evocation to function what are some of the essentials and i think he really nails nails that very well i loved his point about something to do with the sword 
the metal of the sword cutting the surface of the ground for the circle to can contain yourself from the spirit. That's something, yeah. do you think that's something people are aware of or do you think they're overlooking that? Uh, I think a lot of people miss it. And even my emphasis, cause like in drawing spirits and crystal, there is no mention of a sword. You use the wand uh, to do that. And, and, uh, but I totally understand that because anybody who, who studies, especially not just magic, but um, lore and spirit lore in, in various cultures, um, you, you will find, and I've, I've spoken on it extensively, uh, that even like the Fae and, and Celtic lore and, and in Ireland, all throughout Europe, if you go to the, um, some of the tantric traditions and, and such, and also in Tibet and everything that that spirits and especially kind of earthbound, closer earthbound spirits have a big aversion to steel or iron. They can't abide by it. And uh, even it's being the malefic and associated with, with Mars and, and Gabora and, and um, that even just being another correspondence that, um, yeah, that energy and especially if they call it, you know, sky iron, if it's like meteorite iron, a magical weapon made for that, uh, it is something that um, they, they do take note of and not just on the lore part, but I've had several instances and even accidents with um, unfortunately offending spirits that I was trying to have around by, by having iron or steel in their vicinity. Um, it's something that um, is neat to see because it's, it goes past different cultures and different paradigms and, um, and traditions of, of magic even that um, it's something that the spirits will recognize and, and most, uh, most especially kind of earthbound ones do not abide by very well. You know, there's, there's a bit of lore in the Golden Dawn that you always, when you're doing spirit evocation, keep your earth pentacle covered with your white silk bag or whatever. And I have some questions for you about black silk afterward because I noticed you mentioned that. I was like, what's up? But um, I kept my pentacle covered during a massive 12-hour evocation ritual I did. I know 12 hours is crazy but don't ask it was it was including a heroic dose of mushrooms and regimented ritual work which is how in the inner order of the golden dawn i was initiated through that's how entheogens were done i never got to do them in the order but i did them years after after the whole schism with canada and america and what i noticed was the lore is that you keep the plastics or the silk bag over the earth pentacle because it will scare away the spirits so i could see the spirits physically after the the hours of evocation and the entheogens, the five grams of mushrooms. But when I experimented with pulling the, the, the cloth off the pentacle, the spirits pulled rapidly and congregated towards it much more. And I asked them, why is this attracting you? Why is it not scaring you away? They said they like the shapes and the colors. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting too. And in, in we gotta my, test this stuff, right, bro? You, you do, you do. And and to be honest, um, it's not crazily surprising. But my my understanding, at least in part, in part, is that the golden dawn and the the um, the earth panicle and you know the hexagram shape and everything uh, as a the sexy tool, magical tool. Yeah, it's it's part in part from the hexagram of Solomon that. Um, or the Grand Pentacle of Solomon that you see in, in the keys and, and the Goetia, the lesser key. And uh, according to that, it's, it's covered until the spirit appears and then it's revealed actually to basically secure their presence there and have them be uh, basically be friendly and communicative uh, to you and, and to cease any kind of crazy show, but to actually be there so that you can communicate with them in a 
quote unquote civilized manner. And um, I always, you know, there's some association with that, the symbol and the, the hexagram as a phylactery and, and badge of authority um, as, you know, something that is meant to make the, the spirits uh, peaceable that way and, and to communicate. Yeah, it's, it's um, to me shocking how when we test these things, we might find out the opposite is true. Yeah, for sure. And that's why, like you said, yeah, experimentation and actually um, working with these things is, is so important to do. And that's, that's also getting back to the, you know, the original question with, you know, the grimoires and, and such that, um, you know, people don't have to slavishly obey every rule. But if, if you're interested in a grimoire and it says to do something, assuming that you know what it means and assuming that you either need or don't need or follow or don't follow this, you know, before you try it, I think is, is error. It's not a good way to, um, to practice or at least do anything. And especially not to claim that you, you know, anything about the grimoire to begin with, if you haven't tried it and, and people argue with me on this point, but, uh, in my personal experience, uh, I've assumed a lot of things, but as you said, like when the spirit's there or like when you're working with it or what the wand's really for, what the circle's really for, what any part is, is really for until you've experimented with it, until you've actually put it to the test and, and try to at least replicate as best you can um, there. You can't claim any knowledge or, or, or true understanding about what it is for and how it does function and what it does mean to the spirits or doesn't mean to the spirits. Um, these are things that... Um, I think really do have to be put to the test and there has to be a little bit of integrity um, uh, you know, put into that if, if you're claiming to know anything or be able to work anything from the grimoire to claim any authority in it at all. That's just kind of my standpoint. Do you get laughed at a lot by um, the spirits? <laughs> I've, I've had um, spirits laugh at certain things. Luckily, I've, I've never had to my recollection during an evocation, um, any one of them uh, mock uh, or laugh at me that way. There's been some humor at some um, topics or something brought up, but um, yeah, I, I guess supposedly, luckily, luckily it, whether it's a goetic spirit or um, one of the angels, um, some of it's been, you know, there has been some humor, humor but uh, I haven't had any spirit like laugh or mock at me directly. Not that um, I think, I don't know. Well, go, work my... go work but... with Goth. Go work with Goth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We used to do like whole rituals with like three, four aspects of Thoth at Temple Tehuti in Vancouver, like where we'd have a whole person, each, each person in each quarter invoking a different aspect of Thoth and just invoke mm -hmm. Thoth for hours. And like, you know, mix that with a bit of uh, breathing work and you can have some pretty ecstatic experiences. Interesting, very cool. Well, it's very shamanic, right? That's something, that's sort of the gift Aaron Leach gave to the world, isn't it? The reminder that what we're doing is not rigid and dry. Right, yeah, a lot of these things, um, just like everything, magic and, and methods and, and everything are uh, fluid and, and changing and, uh, you know, change with the paradigms and the understanding and also the language. And what I mean by language, I guess, is the kind of um, uh, the blueprints and, and universal 
understanding of various uh, correspondence or, or paradigms from various points of view and, and the spirits do find their ways to kind of communicate, I believe, along those lines, um, especially with the angels. I've, I've very much found that that's, uh, you know, evoking them through planetary means or other correspondences that they they can recognize that, understand and speak along those lines, but they're no by no means limited or confined by any of our assumptions about them that way. And it very much has to do with other spirits as well. Um, my working with the, the Goetic spirits listed in, in the Lamegaton has, has been very eye-opening that way as, as well too. Um, their natures and, and so much is not what I expected or, or tried to devise by reading in the book, the, they're very different and they have, um, you know, they're very unique functions within, you know, the universe. And I still think I'm just scratching the surface of kind of who and what they are that way. But it's, um, if there's one thing for sure, it's, it never quite matches my imagination ahead of time of what they are, what they'll, they'll be like, which is what keeps my interest. It's sort of the shocking that keeps it real, right? Like, you know, when the spirit's presence or appearance or, what they say surprises you it's sort of how you know how authentic it is it's like oh that's just some weird advice from this venus spirit you know like maybe they don't have the same morals as us like they surprise us like we don't expect to see the presentation we see and it's almost to me it's always been a sort of guide between whether i'm just sort of in my own microcosm uh path working or whether or not I'm contacting something external. I like in your book that when you address that issue of the, you know, the micro macro, you're sort of like, I don't care. I just take the advice that the spirits give me. Yeah. And that's, uh, especially in the, the book, we, uh, the, my second book where my scryer and, and I were, were both present, you know, we, we asked some very pointed questions, the questions on uh, figures and religions, uh, philosophical questions, uh, you know, questions specifically on magic and the workings of spirits and demons and, you know, and, uh, and that's what it would come down to a lot where they would say something that um, I really didn't expect or I wasn't quite sure I even believed or could really take it, it you know, it really made me contemplate and you know, a lot of times it, it really did boil down to, um, well, you know, this is something I can take into account or disregard or believe or not believe. I mean, it's definitely the choice and they didn't seem concerned one way or the other um, how I took it. The, you know, it, the response and yeah, answer they don't care, came back. Eh? They don't yeah, care. I mean, it came, it came back as care. it did and it pretty much boils down to, you know, I can either take it or leave it. And I just recorded it in, in the book regardless. And even some of them still, I, I'm, I'm um, mull around in my, in my mind that way. But yeah, I think that's, you know, if, if somebody evokes a spirit and everything is completely predictable and they say exactly what they expect and this and that, then, you know, one really has to wonder if it's, it's just from the mind and, and um, you know, and on that topic, we, we do have our filters. We have our capacities for what we're able to comprehend and perceive and, and uh, visualize and have a blueprint for and, and communication, I think comes across as best as it can. But um, the hope is with evocation and perceiving these spirits that we are able to unlock and, and receive new information and ideas, thoughts, knowledge, and workings and um, reactions results in the, in the world that were not simply devised by 
even our deep unconscious so or subconscious i should say yeah it certainly does feel that way like you are accessing pure gnosis that's yeah. what it feels like um i i only got in i i only got into entheogenic work very late in life i just turned 40 yeah and i've only recently put uh all my years of magical training to the test with entheogens and it's 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 constantly shocking how much they're verifying the things that soberly i investigated for 20 years that's mm -hmm. that's actually really encouraging it's given me a sort of a new excitement and life for the occult because i'm like so everything i used to be such a crusader against entheogens like my whole life and then when i said let's try it out ceremonially and you know at gigs occasionally you gotta you gotta be a little bit celtic rock and roll here and there but what was shocking was how much it confirmed things i was absolutely not expecting that and i think that that means we're in a very exciting stage for the future of magic because i mean chris bennett's done a lot uh did you check out the section the chapter on his lever 420 on the history of entheogenic usage with scrying mirrors and crystal balls I haven't read that yet. Yeah, oh, have to check that out, dude! Oh my God! Like you're hearing all about their use of scrying mirrors and crystal balls since John D, and through like the Freemasonic and Rosicrucian Hashishin, who were like doing you know different mixes of opiums and hashish for for working with scrying mirrors and and crystal balls. It's it's something that was redacted. Clearly, it was redacted from our accessible knowledge, and now it's being brought to light. So it's fascinating, if nothing else. I actually prefer sober working always. But once in a while, it's nice to put that stuff to the test with a crazy dose of psychedelics and see how much you can learn and control in a very, very visible, uh, visceral environment. You know what I mean? Mm, very cool. Yeah, it's something that uh, perhaps I'd, I'd probably have to wait till my other career is, is over in that way, but it's, um, yeah, it's definitely not something I'm against, especially in the use, I guess I should say specifically in the use of, uh, you know, serious and, and mindful, uh, especially in ritual settings, uh, and such that way where, you know, it's really integrating with a, a person's work and they kind of have a foundation of where they're going with that and everything that, not the other stuff is, is fun. I mean, I've seen it lead some people down, um, some dark paths and everything that, you know, it could have manifested some other ways anyways, but um, it's, I think it's just like any tool or any sense of power. It can go one way or the other, depending on, well, many variables, honestly. Well, there is a difference in view, like uh, Lieber 420's author, Chris Bennett, he's told me he almost feels that ritual magic without entheogens or cannabis or whatever psychedelics is almost like missing the is almost a waste of time and missing the point but you and i i think can safely say we are of the school of thought that uh would say you know what it's it's perhaps better without them but not necessarily should exclude them you know but the idea that uh that that ceremonial magic can't really uh, be done without psychedelics or entheogens i think um, well, I'm great. Oh, for sure. And it's crazy. Yeah. And yeah, I think some people, they, they become dependent on them, but, um, even from my school, like as a hypnotherapist, I've seen people get higher and, and experience things off their own mind and didn't need anything at all. And, um, 
that's yeah something I have no trouble standing by because I've seen it and I do it <laughs> all the time. So yeah. yeah, all that stuff is completely accessible to people without need of external influence. I, I like I said, I'm not against it, but no, it's not required. People don't need that that crutch. And if I think some people have better abilities naturally than than other people, so it might be it might be certain people's only way to kind of experience. Um, certain things and that's fine if they need that but it's yeah it's definitely not a requirement uh, for anything at all it's it's a tool and it can be used but if if that's their only need it's you know that's kind of a crutch for them that's too bad that that it is a requirement that they need that and can't experience it otherwise but um, yeah I mean it's some folks I mean they just don't have the capacity for it otherwise well like you say in your book shout out um it takes it the discipline actually matters the intensity matters like how how intensely do you do ritual work (laughs) well uh, i guess it it depends on the ritual and exactly what i'm trying to accomplish so the nice thing how shamanic are you are you doing all your goetia sigils with like blood and you know making vibrations at volume like are you going full Aaron leech shamanic or are you more chill catholic priest sort of style it may be more catholic priest aaron and i share some uh, some ideas but i i come at this differently in many ways i mean one i mean i'm fortunate that way that having spiritual experiences and and seeing spirits is, is something that um, I was able to do even before I got into cl- classical magic and being able to take my mind and, and, and uh, attention places and, and uh, perceptions in places is something that I've been able to do for a very long time. And uh, so I don't, um, I use, you know, I go very, especially if I'm contacting a spirit for the first time. Um, yeah, I set the stage in a very classical traditional method because that not only works for me, but it, it seemed to work for Ben too, who is not Christian and not um, uh, Catholic or anything that way. And but um, the way that I'm able to, you know, set it up and call the spirits forth, uh, he's able to see and perceive them very well. And um, I think it's an important um, part of maybe another reason for um, not necessarily in, in introducing psychedelics, especially if it it's um, leaves one unable to really access their their rational and other parts of their mind as easily or as clearly as they normally would is um, I I have to have these experiences but if I'm doing a working for a client or I'm trying to ask questions that I that I have recorded or I need to know something specific and and think of follow-up questions I I have to be able to access those parts of my mind and and uh, and be able to keep the conversation controlled and, and in a progressive manner that is productive instead of flying off into who knows where and that's that's fine if that's the intent of the experience is to just you know jump in with both feet and go for the ride um that's that's totally viable but if it's not then you know i need to make sure that i can you know ceremonial classical magic is is about structure and controlling and, and getting something specific out of it and then trying to accomplish certain goals. And that's kind of where I stand with it. Yeah. I'm so glad you don't smell magic with a K God bless you, sir. God <laughs> bless you. That's it's too much. I think it's so stupid, but anyway. Um, so I love that you, that you say um, 
the humility and humbleness is important and that you that finding someone with better eyes than yourself is is not a bad idea and and it sounds like you like so are you more a seer or a feeler um that's an interesting question i'd say both of those are, are pretty you've uh, developed them on par yeah they've been pretty closely linked uh together and then yeah um, to be honest at some points one is more active over the other and i and i i'm not sure exactly why that is every single time but um yeah i, I mean it's just that that's quite a big discussion like I, if i'm around i can very much uh, sense and feel if there's kind of a, a spiritual intelligence or something around i'll definitely feel it first and i'll get a sense of what it's about just within my body within my being and that'll be the the first thing but uh sometimes spontaneously i'll i'll see something something will appear even before i get a sense of of what it is or what it is about and um yeah i'm not sure why one happens before the other and one can be stronger at times before the other um that's a good question they're they're both there and and they can both work in tandem and sometimes one can work in lieu of the other um yeah it could be dependent on on quite a few factors what how did you notice that that um ben was a, a better seer than you despite how developed you were he um even before we started working together um his his particular practice um was in seership that was his his big thing was to actually be receptive he, he was working um, a man, Orion Foxwood, and, and being able to kind of delve into the other world and, and just be very receptive and seeing that way. And he was always kind of good at that. But when he started doing uh, that work and very, very dedicated um, day and night and um, doing these practices, and he would he would tell us of these dreams and these visions and the things that um, that he would see um, fascinated me. We'd always have conversations. So I was like, man, I'd really like to see um, how, uh, how you would, uh, perceive these, these experiments and joining me with, with these, um, these, uh, ritual magic, uh, undertakings and, and, uh, and it worked. see what happened. And, um, I think it was a few factors. One was he didn't have any preconceived notion of, of who the angel or, or spirit was supposed to be, or supposed to look like, or supposed to sound like, or supposed to talk about. And that was a big plus for the kind of experiments I wanted to do. So that was, a big thing and then um also the the way that he's able to describe what he's seeing and just kind of how he gets immersed in, in these experiences i thought would be perfect and and i was right about that i mean he's just able to really um the the detail and uh the um expression that he's able to perceive is it's just phenomenal so um, i think it just take uh, even when we started doing these elemental experiences just from that i knew that um, he was a very talented um, seer and uh, able to really just kind of go with it and you know and also i think a big thing too is that he didn't um he didn't have any preconceived notions or, or worry that you know something wouldn't be right or it wasn't supposed to be you know a certain way and i think that just really helped as well it's very cool so can before i forget um black silk for wrapping up your obsidian mirror why not white do you do your other tools with white silk or linen 
the when it comes to uh certain like i have white silk white silk um wraps around most of my salmonic uh tools for the uh the black hilted dagger and some of the things associated uh with saturn or some of the more malefic things and stuff i will specifically use uh black silk as an insulator and um i think a lot of that is is probably through some of the earlier um probably books or things that i was influenced in uh for uh, such magical tools and, and things that I've been using for a while. And they seem to insulate very well that way as keeping things out as much as keeping things in uh, for the tool as well. Yeah. I'll use black silk instead of uh, white um, necessarily. But um, yeah, usually for specific implements um, I'll use for that way. I always thought that talismans and tools were like more of one of the psychological things in magic until I heard science come out and and release that they had documented that objects do get sort of a memory haunted places have a basis in actual science and i was like oh so everything i've been experiencing my whole life from talismans is real <laughs> not just in my head oh yeah it, that was yeah. such a crazy moment man like you can you imagine like i've been doing this thinking it's psychological all my life feeling and seeing and and witnessing the world that it's not psychological that it's really real but then not believing it because i'm very logical and try to be and then i hear science be like yeah objects get energetic memories and therefore talismans make perfect sense yeah it's a it's amazing and and um even in the separate realm, I mean, there's people who are gifted enough that they, you know, they can pick up an object and, you know, read back the history. And even if it, you know, belonged to a person, they can yeah. trace back. And, you know, that's, I love so those kinds of learned, studies. I learned psychometry when I was initiated into Amwork in when I was 12, like 1993. I had to get driven down to, to San Jose from Vancouver and tested at the Grand Temple there to oh, be wow. admitted to the adult classes. And I really wanted, because the, the junior order of the torchbearers was like, fucking joke you know i i had already been reading crowley for like two years i was raised in maharishi shit and i was like no i can't do this child stuff i need the adult stuff my mom drove me down there in the summer i tested in the this private room back temple with adults which you wouldn't put a you know 14 year old in a back room with adults these days but you know it's egypt and they taught us psychometry in the first few lessons and i ran with that huh. so hard that I got so good at it and interacting with everything from dice to physical objects to reading things and all of that stuff. But I always believed that, that it couldn't be real. I thought that it was something not, I, I thought it was like a glitch in the matrix, but then mm -hmm. science came out and I saw this scientist on Joe Rogan who was like, yeah, no objects have fucking memory. They absorb impressions. It's, a, it's amazing around them. And I was like, Oh my God, talismans are totally legit. They're really, really real. And, and what the fuck? Like, Oh my God, I can't believe that, that this came out. Like, I, I think it, I think we all as occultists missed that fact that like one of our main magical things has been proven beyond a doubt. Yeah. It's, I do so like cool. to see that. It Why is aren't we to like jumping in the streets and like celebrating, having, <laughs> you know, Celtic pagan orgies. Yeah, most of us are like, yeah, we knew that. You know, even if it was we did know that, we all knew language. that. <laughs> we all knew it, right? You know, and now you have people like Allison who's kicking ass, and all these other people who are kicking ass doing talisman work. And I'm like, wow, what can I say? It's like I made a joke about simony on uh, my interview with David Heimsmith, and next thing I know, like Tyler Firth, who does crazy talisman work in New Orleans, like like firing ancient vessels. You should check out Tyler. 
Tyler Firth in New Orleans. Check him out. Hmm. Um, yeah, doing. He contacted me. He's like, I heard you mentioned Simony. I'm like, let's talk. And we talked. Did a great video interview and amazing stuff. Like, so all these magicians are just going out there from grimoire work to talisman work to artwork. It's just, it's just exploded. I'm sort of bringing us back to a culture in general because. I'm sort of curious about how you see your place in it and where we might go. I'm an Aquarius, so I'm always very like, what's the plan? <laughs> where, do you well, see, um, where do you see us being able to go? Do you have any visions for like taking your notoriety and fame and, and using it to move us in a, in a healthier direction for all of humanity? I mean, that's the Rosicrucian agenda, which I'm a part of, but you're, yeah. you're one of self-initiated adepts. So I'm curious, like, What's your game plan, man? Like, like well, you, that's the real in, good in this world. What's your plan? Yeah, the that's why I joined. I mean, well, that's partially why I joined the the AJC and um, the kind of overriding message that um, I got in, in my book is Ben and I were, you know, evoking these archangels and we were having incredible experiences and they were changing things in our lives and our perceptions, but you know, a lot of them are coming back or like, you know, what, what do you plan on doing with this, with this knowledge? What are you going to do with the things to share? And, um, and, you know, I would tell them, um, you know, I plan to share this in the book and, and everything, but they were very much interested and, you know, would kind of prompt me to be like, okay, you know, you've learned these things from us. You've had these experience. What else are you going to do with them? As in what, you know, personally, what kind of things are you going to, to do in your life? And they were very much, um, interested the way that I would be sharing these with quote unquote my fellow man and and um, you know and human beings and making that kind of impact and it was it was greatly due to these workings ahead of time that um, I decided to 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 join and to see if I could service you know in, in some ways as a priest I didn't know if this would be something that I would be good at that would be appropriate with that I'd be able to stick with and dude you're in and, seminary yeah, well, I've been in seminary for over five years. And yeah, seven years, baby. Seven years. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. It's been it's, a long... It's a fucking, it's a fucking nightmare. I it's, loved it. I lo uh, it was the best thing I ever did. Well, I did it coterminous. Anyway, it's so great. It's yeah, so great. It's, it's been nice and serving at the uh, the kind of local parish. And there's an, uh, the priest up there is just someone that I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for and, uh, and a lot of people within the AJC. And it, it, it does give kind of an aptitude to really um, to share that way and to kind of service that way, but also uh, in the different things. I, I, uh, I do magical consultations uh, for clients, but it ends up being, I use a lot of my work as, as a hypnotherapist, a psychotherapist that way. Dude, and, that's so crazy. You're a hypnotherapist. Okay. Can I, sorry, can I jump on this? Sure. So you mentioned in your book, golden dawn tattva techniques with hypnotherapy in the same paragraph. I don't know, I, maybe it's law, maybe you don't, it, it, you know, so what's funny about that is that in the Golden Dawn, you take a vow in the first grade to not ever go under hypnotherapy. And you're talking about hypnotherapy using tatwas in the context of the Golden Dawn technique right away. Did you know that 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 was something that Golden Dawn initiates can't do is put themselves under I, therapy? I did. Yeah, I did remember reading about that. And then it always made me laugh. It always made me laugh because even I think it's actually a hilarious archaic thing where they're like, we don't want our secrets being revealed. Yeah, quite possibly, even though I don't know any hypnotherapists, so I'd even be interested to try to pull that out of people. But it's, it's funny because the, the techniques and, you know, a lot of the language, at least what I've seen and heard from 
other members and orders. I mean, it, it very much uses, you know, the same kind of even language and, and Israel Rigardi was even, you know, he was kind of classically trained in that area and very much knew and used um, those methods as well. So that's why I always find some humor behind it because that, um, well, for one, hypnosis and especially used in, in the field of, of magic or anything esoteric was extremely popular even way before my day. And, and um, you know, using those techniques to, to enter various states of mind and comprehension and, and function was, was and still is, um, yeah, kind of a big thing. So, um, yeah, I had no trouble whatsoever. Um, of course, I'm not even, you know, um, initiated into, you know, the specific order to begin with. So I didn't have any care that way, but hypnosis was- not. Hypnosis was makes a lot of sense magically. Yeah, and it's, like, it's one of the first Barton things that I used to, to have people um, experience beyond myself um, all sorts of things when I was a teenager and um, is was one of the biggest tools that I used to to kind of get people through certain doorways, so to speak. And it's been very effective that way. Yeah, I think they were just paranoid about losing their secrets or something like that. Um, here's something I, I actually made a note on. Okay, so on your wand, they, well, I'm actually trying to get some ebony right now, if you have any recommendations, like I need to make an ebony wand. Mm -hmm. um, do you just go on Amazon? I've, I've looked around. Um, eBay will sometimes have um, ebony uh, lumber in stock and such. And I used to turn, uh, turn all my um, wands and stuff for myself and clients and still do on occasion, but uh, they even have uh, dowel um, shaped ebony sticks that I haven't looked on there in a while, but uh, I used to see some on eBay and uh, other um, kind of exotic wood dealers will have them. Yeah, I'll figure it out. If I just, I just need to, you know, pluck up courage to talk to my dad. He's a carpenter. That's how I built most. I've, I've always been a carpenter's son building all my tools and stuff, but these days we're not talking. So I'm like, oh damn, how do I get ebony? And I'm like, <laughs> Let's talk to Frater Ashen Chassan. And, uh, <laughs> It's Ashen Chassan, right? Not Ashen Chassan. Yeah, it's uh, Ashen Ashen Chassan is usually yeah. how I pronounce it. Or if you were talking it. like Led Zeppelin, they'd be like Ashen Chassan, Frater Ashen Chassan. <laughs> yeah, I've heard it all kinds of different ways. We're, and we're going and Frater to... Rufus Opus likes to to tease me and pronounce it all kinds of funny ways too. <laughs> Ashen Chassan, Ashen Ashen Chassan, Ashen Chassan. Yeah. Well, I'm from I'm Frater Rumpens Katane or Rumpens Katane. So like everyone was always like Rumpens, I don't know. So they, they make fun of me. <laughs> it's just an outer order motto. You graduate out of that after a few years. Like I, I tested out of the Gulmdan in 1999. Like that's mm. a long time ago now, right? Yeah. Um, that's when I started in uh, ninjutsu pretty much was 1999. That's when <laughs> I started in 99 when I turned 18 because I wasn't allowed to do ninjutsu until I was 18. I had to do Taekwondo <laughs> 13 to, you know, karate 10 to 13. Taekwondo 13 to 17 and then well and, and fencing mainly I did fencing actually until ninjutsu and ninjutsu nice. made me stop fencing if we can go back mm -hmm. to martial arts for a second which I think we should um ninjutsu was like it's it's maintaining bad habits in you like you know because because in ninjutsu we don't pull punches right mm, right in, in fencing you're you're just you're doing you're you're fencing three hours every time pulling all these hits right because mm -hmm. you're not trying mm -hmm. to you don't want to break a blade and kill the person 
<laughs> which happens all the time. Um, in ninjutsu, though, you're not pulling your hits. You, that's a big no-no. You always follow through. That's why right. we don't call it like sparring. We call it fighting. Right. We just fight slowly and faster and faster, the better we get. Like you, you guys at fifth dance basically are just trained by beating the fuck out of each other. Am I wrong? Yeah. And even <laughs> you go getting, to full speed. <laughs> yeah. Getting to that point too, even within the Bujinkan, like um, there, there's a few good people that, that I respect and everything, but unfortunately a lot of people in, in the Bujinkan, um, it kind of stuck in their particular way of doing the, the wazas and everything for people who basically know what they're doing and let them do it on you where um, I've really come a, I do more cross training than I do working with people from my own system because I think it's a lot more advantageous. Like I work with people who I respect that are good martial artists and other systems, but they're yeah. not going to, they're not going to let me do stuff that, you know, just cause I know what I'm doing and stuff to, to let me do it on them. So uh, it's really helped, um, I think, put some more realism and, and practicality in my martial art work with, with working with other people that way. So. Uh, that's, that's wise. I mean, that's also the master level that you're at where you should start, you know, wandering from uh, school to school in rural Japan. But the question, <laughs> so about the wands, so back to the wands, man. Dude, this is so much fun. I can't thank you enough. Thank you for being on Magic Without Fears. And I always tell people it's Magic Without Fears, not Magic Without Tears, because there's lots of people who listen to this and then go home and cry. Yeah, that well, they're just nervous about. So, are we talking about wands or like interaction with the so, spirits? Okay, with wands. Why on the on the ebony wand do you have tetragrammaton instead of yod hey vav hey? Oh yeah, one of Jason's favorite um, questions as well. And I tell them is because the connotation and the meaning is found in both versions throughout um, many, many, many grimoires and, and books on, on classical magic. The, the you know, Greeks, uh, the Latin and association with tetragrammaton, even though it's a reference word, it means, you know, the four-lettered. Yeah, it's like in, in the Hebrew Bible, when you name come across become a, a holy and powerful. Yeah, we say, we say Adonai. If you're reading Hebrew in the Hebrew Bible. Right. You, you yeah, the, the Lord. You, you don't, say Adonai. Yeah, you so when, my right. understanding was always when you saw tetragrammaton written down for a magic tool, or talisman, you wrote in yod he vav he. Yeah, that was the assumption that I've heard some magicians uh, make, but uh, the tetragrammaton... I thought I was the first. Yeah, even the word is... I felt is, so special uh, for a minute. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely others. I've, I've heard many people um, ask that or, or, or point that out. And for me, it was um, and also through trial and errors because they're all the different places that they're found. They're found on the actual pentacles and such written out as tetragrammaton and not to be translated into the, you know, the Hebrew equivalent and everything because it wouldn't fit. The spaces um, are like that. They're in the invocations specifically said and they actually use both. Uh, and some of the words they actually use both the yod he and the tetragrammaton as, as separate. Yeah words is because the actual word itself not just a, a reference marker it's a, it's a powerful holy name and um this is this is what you see if if we're kind of looking at the grimoires and the classical books of magic that that use it and including written um on the wand as well you don't find one in lieu of the other um you find them both and you find them in different places and i guess it could be argued about what the original scribes intentions for this was and you know where it made more sense than the other but 
in some specific senses, like on the on the um, arms of the stars and everything on like the the hexagram. I mean, the the tetragrammaton is is written out as a powerful word, and um, and so I keep it. So it, it and it's always meant that way for me personally. Even if I'm going from a, a completely subjective, um, you know, personal outlook, um, it's you know I know perfectly well what it means and what it's in reference to. But in yeah. and of itself, it's still a very powerful word that I use and. In both uh, vocalization and and in written form, it's a talisman. It's a talismanic word. Yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely a powerful and holy name in and of itself. And um, you know, it's like when uh, in drawing spirits into crystals. I mean, the word Jesus, the name Jesus, is is used. Um, the actual person, a man, Jesus, his name sounded and looked nothing like that. Uh, it well, was not even was, close. Yeshua. <laughs> Yeshua. Yeah. Yeah, and but we, the spirits and they know what it's in reference to and in its connotation use and intentionality behind it, it still has power and it's the same thing here. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I was really glad to ask you that question because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good one. I, 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 I'm actually really surprised you gave that answer because it was probably the only answer I would have been like, that is totally, I totally agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, any other answer I would have been like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> what do you think of, um, you know, uh, Pope Carroll, you know, uh, Pope Carroll's uh, manifesting spirits to visible appearance by, by, uh, you know, seeing your own face reflected in the black mirror and then it changing in accordance with the spirit's presence. What's your take yeah. on that, that version? Well, first of all, he, just like for many of us, he, he really was kind of um, a launching off point for me. Like a lot of my interest in the Lomegaton, of course, was, was um, highly spurned on by, by his work and everything. And, and uh, at first I met him in very... 97 at the Golden Dawn conference for my order in California when I was six. Nice. Dude, nice. Yeah. He, he, he was actually the first, uh, yeah. the first podcast I ever did was on his hermetic hour. He asked me. To I be. loved that episode. Uh, so I, yeah, it was I the first one I ever episodes. did. My favorite episode um, of course is with your wife where, she, <laughs> where she's like, she's like, um, I think you don't realize that living with Brian is probably not what you think it's like to live with Brian. <laughs> and I just laughed. I like fell off the chair <laughs> in my robe and nemesis holding my wand i fell off because I, I only listened to you in full watchtower circle like you know fully you know five grams of mushrooms and all of the dmt in the world and that's when i listened to ash and shasan speak his holy sermons but when your wife said that i was like damn oh my god i want to hang out with this dude <laughs> oh yeah yeah she keeps my feet on the ground and are, are you a basket case or are you just are, are you like super chill I'd say I'm pretty chill about most things. Like most, uh, personally, most things don't rattle me. Like in, you know, my professional, in my other, away from magic and everything, we, um, we are trained to deal with some pretty intense situations and we train on a regular basis, basis and everything. And we have to deal with people. Well, you're or basically we a mercenary to. ninja. Yeah. You're I, a mercenary ninja me. magician. <laughs> so I got to be pretty chill and, <laughs> and I have to have a sense of humor and, and let most things roll off. Do you, do you, because... do you like a comic book character? 
<laughs> I, I try to wear all the hats. Every, I always joke about myself and, and to other people because everything that I do in, in some professional setting requires some sort of costume, some sort of uniform. We got to do it. Uh, we do got to do a graphic novel you know, about all you guys. And like Rufus Opus is the bad guy, is the evil villain. <laughs> you know? And That's like perfect. David Griffin is the demon Karan's on. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. But uh, I'm sorry. It's, it's just uh, so. So what is it like to live with you? Like like your wife notices spiritual things. She hasn't gone full uh, uh, carry and uh, and done all the ritual work you've done. Right. No, she's been and we just did another one recently where um, tarot work has, has been a big thing for her. It, it really has been working really uh, amazing for her. And she's been. Yeah, she's been oh, really dude. doing excellent with that. Dude, that's awesome. So. Dude, I just did like everything I know about tarot path working in an hour and 20 minutes yesterday. Oh, wow. Like just like I just ejaculated it all into the microphone. Boom for the, the people. I'll have to have her listen to it. Dude, I will send it, yeah. you a, I'll send her a code to download it free. Like, yeah, no, like because, you know, the way I like to teach is I like to get it all out in front of me, like give you everything. And then we mm. focus on the details as you work through the details. Because if you're not going to do the work, it, you, you know, it doesn't matter. And if you're just there to like gather pearls and collect them in your PDF drive, here you go. Here's all of them. But the real mystery yeah. is the experience, right? As my friend mm -hmm. Mother Bear always says, like, if you're not actually experiencing it, you're not really getting it. Right. So excellent. But yeah, she'd definitely be interested. I'm, I'm would too. It'd be neat to hear. So well, cool. Very cool. Well, yeah, I'm doing a lot of very cool work that, um, that, uh, you and Ben, like you said, like the Celtic stuff, the, the WB8 stuff is, is going to happen. Um, COVID crushed all my hopes and dreams as it did many others, but I'm doing pretty good here in Vancouver. Um, but of course a lot of people are, are struggling, right? But once we do get to have events again, um, we're doing the first Celtic mystery stuff in Prague now. We're not going to do it in BC because it's not going to happen until 2022 is when it's scheduled. Hmm. So you and Ben should come to do the Yates stuff with at an Enochian week in Prague at John D and Edward Kelly's tower. We get Aaron awesome. over there, bring Josh to be the bad guy, and, <laughs> and just like go full full metal jacket on it. You know, like seven days of like lectures on Enochian, Guisha, evocation, Celtic initiations, all that stuff for seven days. And there's the hotels right attached to John D and Elders Kelly's style. It's run by an American dude in Prague. Yeah. So like the whole thing could be amazing. I just thought of this now. So, uh, well, we, we're planning this, but I just thought you guys should, should get involved in, and come over. Very cool. Yeah. That'd be amazing experience for sure. Yeah. We, um, definitely miss traveling that's one thing especially my wife and i for sure it'd be nice when this blows over I'd definitely look forward to traveling internationally specifically well that's the plan so we're doing yates's birthday week which is june second week of june 2022 so like hopefully if we, if we can't travel by then our world's in trouble right no kidding yeah yeah i'm not going to ask you who you voted for because I'm in Canada and I don't care anymore. When I was in California, <laughs> I cared a lot. But now that I'm back in uh, Vancouver, it's just like, uh, I don't care, man. They're giving everyone here like two grand a month to live, no matter mm -hmm. what. So so it's like they pacified us, Brave New World style with money and weed. And 
yeah, I'm glad you're doing doing well. But a lot of my friends, like most of my friends in America, are struggling. And uh, I don't know. I feel like spirituality is all I have to offer. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I keep saying on this podcast, this is a really good time for magic. Yeah, and it's it's nice to be able to at least offer that and and share that when you can too. So that's good. Yeah, you do sort what of- you can when you can. Yeah, it sort of brings me back to my thoughts on like where you see yourself building the future of the magical community. Yeah, it's pretty much it's been a consistent thing. I I would like to I've been trying to get back to writing uh, more, but um, it is a conscious decision, too. But since since the uh, release of my second book, uh, specifically working which is on sale, which is on sale, 175 (laughs) at Miskatonic Books. Go buy a copy so that it's too late for me to get one <laughs> now. Like, actually, I actually have a decision to make, bro. If friend to friend, should I spend two seventy five out of Seattle to get a signed first edition, and the the cover looks a little more uh, flimsy than the unsigned binders proof from Mister Miskatonic for one seventy five marked down from two seventy five? What's your advice? Because you're the author, so I'm. Let's get it from the horses. Oh, gosh. Well, I guess it depends on, on your books and, and how you like them and everything. I mean, I like we're geeking not... out now. Like there's no there's no avoiding it. We're geeking. Out. Yeah. <laughs> Just let's how you let's like. go I mean... full foolish fish on this and like talk bindings. <laughs> yeah, the, the hard one is nice. And the, um, I do appreciate it. Like I have a, a couple of that I've saved for my self and everything. I even have to go back and, and reference and everything. because I... You could just like write on go to one of them and write to frat or rc love ashy chassis ashy Ch- <laughs> send it to british <laughs> like columbia entirely different you could profession. you could do that and send it to british columbia here in vancouver and like it would only cost you like two thousand dollars of border <laughs> right. taxes the border taxes are low and all that money goes to china so like you'd be totally <laughs> chill you could just sign a copy to me. You no, know, what what version is? If you actually had to choose, if you could only own one copy of your own book, would you choose the first edition signed, numbered, limited one? It costs online currently like two seventy five, but that's irrelevant. The money's not the issue here. Would you own that one, which the cover looks different than the binder's copy for one seventy five, available from Miskatonic? What would you pick? Well, it's a little bit embarrassing, but now I have to think. I don't even know if I've seen the the new binders uh, version. Um, That's what all my friends things. have. All my friends have it. Jesse Grossman has it. Uh, all my friends have that. Oh, cool. Yeah, they'll have to tell. So I, I mean, I can. I should. It's like if anybody should know, I I should, but I don't. I don't know what the uh, the new one. The only ones I'm familiar with is they made the special editions. They gave me one of those as well, but. Besides the blue one, um, the only other one that I've held in my hand is the the paperback um, version. You know, uh, the one you can buy on Amazon, and that's that's the only ones I know of. So, um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay, I think I that's you. I thought you would. You, you don't get copies of all your books. Um, not the latest one. Not the one that you're referencing. Um, I don't think they. If you told me about it, I forgot, <laughs> but they, they definitely didn't send me one because I would remember that. So they must have just done a special thing through, you know, the publish, publisher to offer. But um, yeah, I didn't get a copy of one of those. The, these independent publishers, though, they, pre, they pay pretty well. So it's, not, it's, it's pretty much worth it for the people to go with them. Wouldn't you say it's better to go with the independent ones than Wiser or Llewellyn or what would you say? 
Um, probably, yeah, more than Wiser Llewellyn. I mean, some will pay better than than others. Um, I definitely enjoyed working with uh, Miss Katonic and, and Azoth and, and Robert and those guys. They they treated me really well. And and uh, not only that, but uh, like Adam Forrest and stuff doing the the editing. I mean, that I have to give them big credit because my my writing can be all over the place and he really made it the the masterpiece that it is um i mean where i was blown away i'm like man this looks fantastic it looks like i know what i'm doing <laughs> um he you know due to them i mean it was really presented in in a very readable and an awesome form so i appreciate that i don't i don't get all that much uh from the copies it's you know it's a little bit it's a nice gesture but it's nothing substantial i mean i probably sell one of my talismans or something more than what I get after a big book sale. So it's, you know, it's negligible, but it's, it's something I still appreciate for me. It's about getting my work out there and, and people appreciating it and using it. And, you know, that sort of thing is, is the true reward. What's the best way people can support your work? Um, you have a grimoire class on your website, right? I do. Yeah. I've, I've got three classes, three online classes that are, are still going and, and functioning. I have one on drawing spirits and the crystals one on the, the Lamegatons Goetia, the first book, and then one on the, the Lamegatons, the fourth book, the Ars Almadel, um, that um, is going on. And all three of those classes are, are going with people still contributing and asking questions. And if I see something relevant or if I'm working on something relevant in that area, I, I'm still posting. So it's kind of like an ongoing class, but it has uh, videos and instructions and, and things that I share specifically and only on those classes to really help people who who really want to tackle it um i guess like i have and, and what i've learned and what i've done in those areas so would you do an intro to kujikiri class for me just for me i'll, <laughs> buy, be... I'll buy all the copies <laughs> yeah make like 100 dvds of it and i'll buy all of them and then i'll sell yeah. them for a thousand dollars each yeah uh, it's so funny i hear my instructors uh my instructors had my uh my teacher was a very important person to him and he, uh, he wouldn't teach me. I was interested. I was already into magic and stuff, but he wouldn't teach me in, until I got my show on. He wouldn't really go into it extensively, but uh, yeah, after I got my, yeah, my show on, then, you know, he shared, yeah. he was very adamant about, um, you know, what that sharing in, entailed and, and um, the meaning behind that. It was kind of like, in some ways, how I learned uh, the Aiki back in the days. It's, you know, all that stuff's all over the place now, but it was, it was taught and imparted to me in a very kind of sacred, you know, one uh, yeah. teacher to person setting and everything. So it kind of really follows along those lines still. I think the two coolest things that magicians could incorporate in the Western mystery tradition are Kujikiri and Eurythmy from Rudolf Steiner's Walder schools. Because hmm. it's like weightlifting for the aura. And Kujikiri is like will concentration it's 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 like mudras that are just they're just different they're they're just a different they're they're elemental vibes you know like the the mudras of india feel more high vibration but the kujikiri of japan really to me feel very base elemental almost enochian actually and yeah I, they're they're meant to be very active they're yeah yeah because these very... ninjas were using them while they were assassinating people yeah, <laughs> yeah, we can definitely imagine that. Well, or yeah, that's that's I mean, I mean, like, for people who don't know, ninjutsu was basically a bunch of ronin and other assorted people who were clustered on this mountainside as exiles, and like shuriken developed out of 
grabbing bits of metal on the battlefield or stones and just throwing in people's eyes, right? Yeah, it's actually an interesting history. Like, yeah, Shuriken and Shuriken Jitsu was, I mean, so many samurai and, and fighting classes had had those. But yeah, the ninja, I mean, historically, I guess if we're talking history, I mean, the vast majority were not fighters at all and, and they didn't even really train in, in combative methods that much. They were just simply spies and, and people that were trained to gather or disrupt things or doing that. The the ones that, that fought or actually did things that um, later become, became kind of popularized or mediaized and stuff. And they were, they were bushi and samurai anyways, they were warriors or soldiers to some degree and rank that were doing that stuff anyways. And it was only ninjutsu or shinobi no mono tactics when it just went outside the current conduct of, of how they were supposed to behave. So there's purposefully a lot of blurring in, in those categories and, and the who and exactly what the ninja were. Um, purposely were kind of blurred and not not very specific as as we were kind of taught early on or as I was taught even early on there's there's a lot more of the history did you focus much on on tumbling and stealth work in in your training or like, we do yeah of, like yeah you do right yeah we have a lot of videos and stuff on on YouTubes and um two of my students that made it to need on they actually uh competed yep. on the ninja warrior challenge um <laughs> show and well, made it I, to the japan um section one of that too i was really proud but the, the main ninja warrior the t american tv show is what you're talking about right uh-huh it's that's that's not connected with ninjutsu right no i mean it's parkour no. and it's you know acrobatics parkour. but it's it's the uh the movements the climbing and everything very much um integral and then the scrolls of uh, ninjutsu tactics uh uh, for sure. So, I mean, it's, you know, it fits hand in hand, but um, yeah, we do, we do a lot of uh, climbing and, you know, running up walls and, you know, rolls and break falls and all kinds of, you know, taihenjutsu in, yeah. in various forms. And um, we have a lot of fun with it, probably more than, than some schools focus on it. But um, I had great teachers myself. Like we, we, we trained on cement. I learned break falls, dive rolls, slides, like everything on cement. It's all, like, you know, you're standing there, they swing a bokudo under your feet. You have to jump straight in the air and fucking dive roll, like, almost at a 90-degree angle. Like, and you're just, like, you're in pain, but you're not. You're hurt, not injured. And you just, you just, your body adapts. Your body learns exactly. really quickly, right? Like, yeah, oh, oh, I got to do this. Like, they're like, dive roll into the gravel. You're like, oh, fuck me. But you <laughs> do it somehow. They're like dive roll over that picnic table you're like no that's too far they're like do it and like next thing you know it's like full sofas length to length and it's like your body adapts yeah, I, my favorite thing was idea. once a month we had uh shiatsu for class hmm. they're nice shiatsu right for ninjutsu so good mm -hmm. but like anyway I, I would seriously love it if you did uh, some sort of interpretation of kujikiri because you're I, I i actually thought you were more like shodan second dan but I'm not surprised that you did the, the, the fifth Dan test, which for people who don't know, just let me uh, be official like and pretend I'm not like drunk and stoned right now. Um, people who don't know, the fifth Dan ninjutsu test is where you kneel down and someone stands behind you traditionally with a katana, but these days with a bokudo, a wooden katana, and they swing at their leisure and you have to anticipate dive rolling forward out of the way. And there's no way to tell other than basically your psychism. Am I wrong? 
Right. Yeah. It's, it's meant to develop. I mean, the whole idea is the, the idea of uh, sake. Sake. Not, 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 yeah, not sake, but sake, <laughs> the well, killing intention and, and somebody who's really trying to hurt you and bring that down. And it's not. And uh, you do feel it. You fucking. Yeah. Feel it. it's, a, it's just it's a feeling, something that pulls. One thing I learned early in ninjutsu um, was shockingly that actually that's not a hard test to pass. Um, yeah. And it depends on who's doing it as well. Um, it was very interesting seeing, and, and several people took the test while I was there and I got to witness them. Like especially and, if you're a magician, um, right? Right. Well, I think if, if you're training and you're developing your senses, this is something that um, will work, but I don't know because my, it was a big thing for, for my sensei doing uh, mutadori and uh, Taisabaki, he would swing that shinai at, at the head and he would mean to, to basically kill you. You could feel it from him. And we did it over and over again and it hurt like hell um, when you got nailed. But it, it taught us a few things of not overreacting, not tensing and moving from the head, yeah. uh, moving from the hips, but also feeling it and only moving when your body says move, not when your mind says move as, as he used to say. So we did that drill a lot and it was something that developed through practice. And I don't think uh, other schools quite went to it as, uh, as deeply as we we did, but um, it was a big thing in, in, in uh, our dojo under him. So um, yeah, it's something that I've carried on. I was one of, uh, under Phil Lagar's umbrella, you know, Phil Lagar, right? I'm not sure if I know him. Oh, he was the, he's the what, CIA trainer dude. He's an American guy, but he ran, oh, okay. ran our province for a while. Um, it's crazy actually how much our, our martial art has influenced uh, like special forces training that's that's crazy right like because we do so much like stealth work and subtle stuff tumbling that you wouldn't normally do in most martial arts and uh, it, it's uh it's surprising how many governments have hired our our leaders on our in our countries to do it i did it a bunch of in europe in ireland and germany and and i trained with one uh, one guy in la who was from europe and he's 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 one of these He's one of these people who's in the Golden Dawn orders that you're not meant to talk about. You know, the super authentic ones that don't like to be mentioned. <laughs> and yeah, no, like that's the thing. But like he was showing me ninjutsu stuff in 2002 in LA and like he'd have me put him in a hold and then he'd be like, and then I'd do this and he'd jump backwards over my head, like flip back over my head and I'd be on the ground, like bang, down. And I'd be like, how the fuck do you he's like all of the showdown do backflips in 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 denmark and i was like you motherfucker because <laughs> like, no way i'm gonna do a backflip right like the, i think i capped out at at, at exercises towards four forward summies um <laughs> one-handed cartwheels no problem even while i'm overweight no problem but like the summies challenging he would just backflip and they would, you know, you're on the ground, right? Even though you got him in like some sort of backwards onikodaki type thing. And uh, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's doing one of these, how do you say it? Actually, this is the first time on the podcast where I've not said something because I really can't say it. But anyway, ninjutsu is deep in the golden dawn. That's my point. And, hmm. and the kujikiri, I think, is something we could all get a lot out of. Yeah, it's it's been a very useful tool, and there's been, you know, a crossover, and that's why some of the uh, the hand um, position, the mudras, and the sayings uh, in the other kind of magical forms I use are they're really effective. 
for me. And it kind of combines that thought, word, and deed. You're saying yes. that you're doing something yes. and you're putting it to action. Thought, so. word, and deed. Fuck yeah. yeah. So did you ever watch American Ninja? Of course you did, right? Yeah, when I was a kid and stuff, yeah. I definitely That's where we got introduced to it, right? So I was already doing Maharishi's TM. So I started introducing the Kujikiri and then got into Wicca, Druidry, Golden Dawn and all that stuff and then Ninjutsu. And that was when it came full circle because mudras are powerful, right? We don't, I don't talk about them much on my podcast because I usually talk about more academic stuff, believe it or not um but once in a while i talk to someone like you and i just want to have fun like first time i talked to talked to you know josh really well you were you were in the gentleman of jupiter right yep yeah mm-hmm. you were you were you were one of the founding members basically yep yeah, it was just yeah. a, a small group of us when it got started yeah so first time i talked to him because he's such a good sport was after I'd done a three-hour podcast with a QAnon Texan head of a Golden Dawn and Martinist order, my buddy Jeff, who I've known for 23 years. I'm like, I'll just so you know, I, I'd, I'll talk to QAnon, I'll talk to right-wing, left-wing, I'll talk to anyone, like fucking Canadian, Switzerland sort of vibe. You know, that's like, like ser- no, seriously, man. Like, mm-hmm. we got we got to have space for like people to talk. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, we got to like, we can't just be all oh my god like this person's canceled like fuck no i i don't know if you're a star wars fan but i am on gina carano's side like you know what i mean like i'm on her side i'm like you can't cancel someone for free speech like seriously (laughs) seriously, we got to go after violence there's a lot of violence i've been the victim of violence it's like we can't sweat the small stuff like the adepts in the golden dawn always told me for my whole life if you stumble at pebbles, you won't get over boulders. Right. Yep. And like, so we, we, we got to just, you know, we got to let shit go. We got to let shit go. We got to let people say what they want. Just, just don't hurt each other. Otherwise, Brian will ninja teleport to you and kick your ass. <laughs> What's the chances that you actually do a Kujikiri magician lecture? Because like, honestly, I would be all over that. Like I will, I will um, I'll, I'll run ads. Yeah. Someone like you and, and everything, I, I won't, it's, it's one of those things like, you know, I'm kind of specific to the tradition. Like I'll teach the other uh, gestures and things I use like in magic, if it's, you know, just ma- magicians coming in, but um, yeah, unless they're, they're ninjutsu, you know, kind of trained specific. Cause a lot of things. And like what my teacher told me is like, yeah, you can tell people about this stuff and you can show them, but it's not going to really be able to be meaningful. And they honestly won't be able to use them unless they've developed a lot of the, the correlations of, of what this means, kind of getting back to the Godai and the Sanshin in the body, like, you know, to understand Chin Lokata, unless you've done it thousands and thousands of time to, you know, how do you hold your ground or how do you feel, you know, your center and weight in this way? How do you deal with, with something that's coming at you and, and being able to respond um, you, he's like, you won't be able to twiddle your fingers and make anything effects because you don't have, you know, that feeling of quote unquote earth, you know, in your body yet, let alone in your mind and, and develop to, to access it instantly by moving your fingers in a certain pattern. It just won't work. And, and I've really seen that. And I've had to tell my students that many times it, it takes, um, a lot of patience and learning to, to access what that means for it to be kind of effective and really usable in any substantial way. Otherwise it's just kind of 
having fun looking like Naruto or something like that, <laughs> like tw twiddling your fingers together. So that's been my, my background with it. So um, yeah, with other, you know, Budoka or, or people, I mean, I wouldn't mind kind of sharing my perspectives or, or where I've gone with it, but um, definitely not like an open public thing. Cause it's, it's kind of like, it's another art form that it's, I think it requires a certain kind of background and understanding to really appreciate it beyond an academic context to actually put it to any usable form. Do you think um, Franz Barden is underrated or overrated? Um, that's a good question. He's another one that I studied um, extensively with, yeah. you know, his, well, at least his first two books and, and such. I didn't really get it much more into his Kabbalistic uh, uh, writings, but definitely his initiation no, he, into hermetics and yeah, evocation. He goes crazy often. He he goes crazy a lot. Yeah, I mean, he's got a really particular take, and and uh, there's a lot I appreciate about his philosophy and his working with correspondence. I, to be honest, like I don't know, I have appreciation for a lot of him and in his personal development, but um, I did not continue on in his particular approach and outline to evocation. Um, I just didn't like I it it really influenced and it fascinated me a lot, but um, I kind of was like, uh, I don't know. I took, I you took it for what it fluid was. Condensers. Yeah, I did adopt fluid condensal condensers for the, uh, the scrying, um, scrying mirror and some other things. I, I like that idea and that kind of technology and how to put that to use. It's another, well, it's another way to compound correspondences and to an implement. It's it's you know a great um, tool and it's an adage. But um, and people have asked me like, oh, I have to have it this way, or you know, I teach them like this is just it's another tool. I'm like, you can scry, and the thing will work without it. It's just you know something that can really help, or it can add something to it. But it's not going to make or break, you know, your ability. It's not going to be able to make you scry, um, and it's not going to not make you scry. It's just another thing to add and, and to put into it so um so yeah i mean that's pretty much when you, when you add a fluid condenser to your mirror you find that really helps it did especially in in the early parts when i was working and, and trying to learn to scry um it seemed to um open up that nebulous point uh wherever that exists between the physical material object and the astral and my eyes and the ability to see and wherever that happens. So I think it was a, I think it was a useful component, but as far as its essentiality, I've definitely to the point where I don't, I never used one uh, when, when I was working with Ben, um, at least not an old one. So I, on one of my old mirrors and everything, but we had all the experience. I never put one on the uh, crystal for drying spirits and the crystals. So it's definitely not essential. Do you, do you like, do you still like Trithemius after all these years? Trithemius? Well, and I was, when I was researching, it said his name was more uh, pronounced Trithemius. Trithemius, Trithemius, yeah, er war Deutsch, yeah. I'm a German dude. Even, even his involvement and in reading about his personal records and stuff in Magic 2, really fascinating, but in actuality in history like you know he probably didn't really have much a hand and and the art as it's presented in the magus for drawing spirits and the crystals and you know i kind of write about that he's 
in some ways, I think he's kind of the uh, the Solomon or the Cyprian or you know, what have you associated as as a figure of authority of it being a viable you know system of magic. But um, his personal system of magic were pretty different, and the things that he re, you know recorded they didn't you know really correlate to what I write about too much. And you know I found that out, so I don't. I, he's an awesome figure in history, and especially in magical history. And he's got a really um, some fascinating records and everything, but they, they definitely go off in a different direction than um, most of what you find in Solomonic magic. Can you imagine being 21 years old and all of a sudden you're the head of your monastery? Yeah, right. Yeah. It's <laughs> back in those days though, not, not as rare as it seemed since the age of 21 was. Well, it was probably like <laughs> six to 10 monks at the most at the mm. moment with like five or six surf servants, country folk. And that was your building. And you had a building, you all slept in the same room and you had a library and then you did mass every day. That was their main thing was to do mass every day. Hmm. And Hmm. the rest of their time was their own. Um, They probably did mass like three to eight times a day, right? And they probably kept all the, the times. And so they'd get their bit of wine. And the rest of the time they're studying grimoires a lot of them, the ones who actually were literate, because a lot of them were just nobles' sons who weren't literate. Like that's that's one of the gifts of academia is they're like, you know, these people weren't exactly who you thought they were, and we're like, right. what? What could you mean? <laughs> of course they were. They were exactly the plague-ridden, anti-intellectual, illiterate motherfuckers that we thought they were. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like no, there was really smart people. There was really dumb people. There was rich people. There was like instagram people is like what instagram it's like no but like basically the same thing especially Mm -hmm. in venice so like so so history is way much it's more multifarious than we're ever going to actually realize no matter how good the book is that we are reading it oh for sure right so when you think about the history of grimoires like i love reading academics um i presented in in canterbury to dr angela voss she's a facino and statue expert right presented to her last year in her class and we were talking about starting or well she was engaging in an academic i i believe that academics and practical magicians have bridges to be built and i'm working actively to build those bridges you know what i mean that's excellent yeah definitely rufus opus josh has a mind to that and there's a bunch of others who have a mind to that and i think we need to establish a bridge like people like Sophie Page, they don't believe in magic. That's fine. We don't need them to. Jake Stratton Kent still exists, so we're all good. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we have so much to learn from their insights on the developments of Facino to Mirandola from like Raman Lull. Like we only just found out that Raman Lull was influenced by the Kabbalah. We thought for the last few hundred years that Raman Lull was not influenced by the Kabbalah. This was fucking doctrine. And then Moshe Adele came along and was like, yo, he was corresponding with a Kabbalist in Venice. Holy shit. Raman yeah, Lull was influenced by the Kabbalah. It's like, okay. So when he's talking about the spheres, these Christian spheres, and everyone's like, it's not Kabbalah, it's not Kabbalah, because they're just spheres, they're not Kabbalah. And then Moshe Adele's like, yo, I read some like letters in Hebrew and the shit's down, right? Like, he was influenced by Kabbalah. He was talking, I think it was Abu Lafia or um, 
Nachman, no, no, um, I'm forgetting the name, but it doesn't matter. He was communicating with a Kabbalist in Spain. So mm -hmm. we know this was happening. And, uh, or Raman Lal was in Spain. So, so we see all this, this complexity of traditions blending. And it, yeah, does, definitely. it does always bring me back to the grimoire stuff because I'm just getting into the grimoire stuff. So I approach you as a friend and a teacher. Mainly, I want to get my show down from you, which it probably involves you hitting me in the face a few times. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> like, if, if you were to give me my show, Dan, let's tell our, our listeners right now, that would well, require yeah. several headshots, correct? Yeah, my it's probably different. People are surprised by the, the people that, that earn Shodan in my dojo. You hit uh, them all in the head a few times, right? They, the, the test takes the better part of a day. It's, it's usually about five to six yeah. hours. Yeah. Um, they have to go through everything they ever learned from ninth Q, the very yeah. beginning. And um, after they've done all the techniques, all the weapons, um, the throws, the, the chokes, and, and everything else. So I'm they, basically. They have, to, they have to fight all the students. They have to face them. Yeah, you have to fight, fight. them. Yep. You're not sparring them, right? You're not sparring them. You're fighting them. They have to survive. They have to go through. You have to so. fight them all. Yep. Twice. <laughs> I, I did an entire ninjutsu seminar once where for an hour and a half, we studied the ways in which you can pull out eyeballs. And then because the guy who was teaching us, it was also a cop and trained by the guy who trains the CIA, Phil Lagar. He would, then had to teach us for another hour the protocol after you remove someone's eyeball <laughs> like you're laughing because you know exactly what i'm talking about correct yes. yeah there's follow-up if if uh, occurrences like that happen if you want to well if uh, someone attacks you on the street and tries to kill you pulling out their <laughs> eyeball is a good way to go right and it's very realistic <laughs> no it is someone tackles you best chance you have to survive is probably pulling out one of their eyeballs go for those eyes yeah that's why i go for the eyes and yeah if you're Dude, that's why ninjutsu that's why ninjutsu can't spar that's why we can't spar because like if you and me were to spar we'd all of a sudden start grabbing each other's like eyeballs throat and groin like try we try to disable the person and then here's my favorite thing about ninjutsu the final stance in every technique or gogyo or whatever you do is always facing a away from your opponent because our whole goal is to disable and get away because we're non-aggressive we're about That's, escaping yeah. to the mountainside where we can worship the shinto spirits right yeah togaku radio the actual you know physical techniques that people study the the densho or for your learning ninjutsu for from togaku radio it's it's all escapes there's no i mean some of it can be very devastating but in all of the techniques it's about it's about getting away. It's getting past the person and basically vanishing, um, moving on to whatever your real goal and objective is, which is not fighting somebody. <laughs> that's usually when something wrong goes wrong. And that's kind of what it's, yeah, the whole system's geared towards is, you know, take care of them so they hopefully can't, you know, follow you or tackle you down, but, you know, get away to what your get objective away. is. So, yeah. yeah. You, you move, you know, go, go, fucking sidestep, boom, run. You're, I love that our back feet are always pointing away from our target. Like, <laughs> you know, that's the, um, am I wrong? No, not right. Yeah, the proper, yeah, taijutsu. Like, yeah. so no matter what move I do to you, my, at, by the end of that move, 
my back foot is pointing away from you because my primary goal should be to run away. Hmm. Like Monty Python said, run away. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah, we just do those smoke bombs, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because we don't want to fight. We want to just go live on in the mountainside and worship nature spirits and dance in fairy rings like satyrs beneath the full moon. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah. Got so 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 is it possible you could do a, a Kujikiri course for, for magicians? using those um, probably, like do it damien eccles style go damien yeah. eccles style just go live on youtube and be like yo bitches here's the mudras for new yeah. yeah i'll probably teach i mean i'd be teaching the mudras that i use for uh i guess what you could say western magic or western connotations that way i do something but i probably wouldn't do the the ones and the ones i learned specifically kujikiri for for that i don't think i'd ever do that when you're doing Solomonic magic and you say you like using beeswax candles, do you mean like actual undyed beeswax candles? Yeah, the, the most part, I try to get them the, the undyed ones. Yeah, they have the kind of green hue and um, they look very particular when they're in the, uh, the rarest unfiltered form. Um, I use those most often, but if they are purified or, or filtered the beeswax, I, I think they're fine too, but... Like I don't go out and collect my own, you know, beeswax or anything. I'm not usually that hardcore. You're not insane. Yeah, I just, you know, I try to get reputable ones or, um, you know, I'll use ones that come from various uh, uh, clerical um, sites and and offerings that way, and I'll I'll use those what's, sometimes. What's what's your ordination going to be like? uh for priesthood uh, the ajc has very yeah it, it follows very much in suit um the points that will be familiar with within the roman uh catholic church uh, and even some of the the things are similar but you know we have a lot of the um our own very gnostic and particular um invocations and and prayers and such that you know coincide with with the, the church and the Gnostic church. So what's, what's, um, what's your, how, what's your take on Gnosticism? Um, I, uh, it's, it was something that I was very much not that into for the longest time, because just from what I caught wind of it. And because a lot of it was kind of, I think more of the OTO and, you know, Curly Branson influenced that way, which is not my particular cup of tea, but the, uh, the AJC and um, the way that Gnosticism is, is explained, I guess, appreciated um, through that way. And it's very much, um, at least my appreciation is very much a more modern interpretation because we could go on about what, you know, what was Gnosticism historically and, you know, with the, the Gnostic Gospels and what did they believe and not so much in that realm and that kind of uh, cosmology, but Gnosticism in the sense that, um, you know, the divinity and um, the sacred flame within each of us, that the, the true, the true, I guess, salvation and the, the true connection is, is really having that experiential knowing, that real knowing of, of when you connect into the, to the divine. And um, it's, I think, really the points of, of being who exactly what you were meant to be. And when you're fulfilling those roles, as one of the angels says, I mean, that's the, the best form of devotion one could possibly give is when you're, you're doing exactly what you're set here to do. And people feel it and it's something you don't debate about. You don't argue about. It's very personal. And it's, it's how people are meant to connect to the divine in their, 
their particular way. So that, that form of Gnosticism and, and being in that moment and serving and being authentic at that moment, I think is touching more of what that means to me on, on a very personal and, and long lasting level than any other kind of, you know, philosophical outlook or anything. And then, you know, in the church uh, serving capacity, um, I very much like the way the church said it's, you know, not trying to get people to believe or to follow a certain kind of philosophy or religion or this, that we, we have our structure. And if people are drawn to that, that's, that's great. But the purpose of the clergy, and, and this is why I joined, is, is not to convert people. It's to hopefully inspire them or to lead them to experience Gnosis the way they're meant to, however that's meant to. You know, whether it's in your church or a completely different one or a completely different philosophy or, or whatever, if, if you can assist or be supportive in their personal search for, for Gnosis, um, that's the idea of the, of the priest, of the master. And that's hopefully what I, I when I'm in my better mind and, and state, that's, that's what I help people uh, to do because um, that seems like that's the true role of the priest. I just want to say again, how much I loved your answer about the Tetragrammaton, the Bafe thing. Mm. <laughs> like, honestly, I was worried. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm sort of coming back from a few years of being focused on Celt being a Celtic musician. Like I play the flute and the whistles mm. and the bagpipes. So, Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah, I play Illin pipes, man. My main instrument is Illin pipes. Like I speak Gaelic, I sing Shanas, you know, Kanyak style Asquelga, and mm. I play Illin pipes. And I, I bailed on the whole ritual magic thing for a little while. But during that while, I was deep into mushroom land, which did you know that magic mushrooms in Irish Gaelic are called Kapani Puka, which means puka hats, like fairy hats? Yeah, like the red caps. Fairy. Yeah. yeah, they're the red caps. Yeah. So, like, the idea is on mushrooms, you're meant to shapeshift to like enter into the she, and then you have to shift your shape or you have a bad trip. Like that's the idea behind Kapani Puka. Mm -hmm. That's like pretty hardcore stuff um, because Irish, Irish Celtic fairy magic is, is really no joke. Like here's a story. Can I tell you a story? Sure. And, and uh, just my uh, wife, I, I guess I wasn't planning. She's been calling me to dinner uh, just so we know, so we look at time. But yeah, I'd love to hear it. You should just put it on speakerphone and bring her on. <laughs> I'm serious. I have, I have two kids up there and my mom's up there. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to hear anything. <laughs> I would love to talk to all of them at once. I'm, I'm, I'm from Vancouver, man. We're crazy as shit. Um, <laughs> I've okay. noticed when I was there. <laughs> you noticed what? Yeah, yeah. Well, dude, like, you know, our two major celebrities are like Seth Rogen and Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> so like what makes you think that the place that produced Seth Rogen and Ryan Reynolds is in any way sane? Like, <laughs> no, we're, we're shy and introverted, but are we sane? No, we're fucking insane. Absolutely. Um, so I don't know what the point about that is, but I will let you go soon. Um, the thing about, uh, okay. Okay. What was it? What was the next thing? Um, I don't know. I can't remember. That seems like the topics have switched around a little bit. <laughs> it's 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 very exciting to talk to you because we have so much in common, and I feel that most of the magical world has a lot in common, but we're we're struggling to connect. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's it's. I think that's part of the um, you know different topic, the give and take from the the well, social. I'm so glad that like Rufus, that Josh has left the OTO and the OTO like kicked out hundreds of other members because they're, they're doing crazy shit. The GD <laughs> is always doing crazy shit. Like, I, do you know who David Griffin is? Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar. I'm, like, I'm enough he, involved he, with the Golden Dawn crowd and stuff to... He broke into my house during an, an initiation. Did he really? Oh my God. Dude, our, the only reason he didn't get into the temple says we had a sentinel there with a fucking bastard sword made by our, our neighbor who was a, a metallurgist and mm-hmm. she made us this huge five foot five claymore and so our sentinel and who will hear this and who's on instagram and all that shout out sora fq and she like she thought about running him through with it because he just kicked in the front door david griffin yeah. like he he's That's a crazy, crazy. crazy motherfucker right and Dave, David Griffin's people are just like, I mean, they, well, they doxed me. They fucking doxed me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's another reason. I mean, not for him particularly. I think he's a rare case, but yeah, I, I get, catch wind of a lot of things and various He's orders a special man. Down. He's yeah. a special case. Oh, he's, don't, <laughs> don't mind that lad there. He's a special lad. He's a special lad. Just, just give him a little bit. So he's with the, he's, talking to the vril he's talking to the vril he's with the thule society you know there's nothing wrong with the thule society they're against the queen of england too because she's an alien motherfucker and we won't <laughs> mind that like you know these people are all into their conspiracy like he's pro-trump anti-trump all this aliens reptilians all this shit like i know i sound crazy right now but that's because i'm talking about current culture yeah and that's right i, I catch wind of that and that's why i'm glad that i i try to keep my distance one for i don't have the time or energy to yeah to get into it all and i'm too busy <laughs> so so okay here was another thing that stood out about your book so people gateways through stone and circle you can get it on amazon um it's it's i had a, i had troubles with the beginning part i have a hard time with occultists trying to you know okay can i call you brian yeah, of course brian you know how occultists sort of feel this sense like they need to explain a little general view of history before they start their books? Right. We don't need to. We don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> if, we can, if we can't identify problematic areas that are worthy of consideration, let's give it a bypass. Future authors, young millennials and Gen Zs, give it a bypass. We don't need to hear it. Like Aaron did a good job but he, he reduced the filioque controversy and the split of the Roman Catholic Church from the Eastern Orthodox Church to a song. And it's not just, it's just, it's, it's limiting. So let's, as magicians, agree to stop talking about history, leave it to the historians, you know, real historians, and we'll just talk about magic, hardcore magic. Like, let's just go straight into our Llewellyn books talking about magic. That's my plea to you, thousands of listeners out there. Like, dude, I don't even want to tell you how many people listen to this podcast. It's stupid. I started it on April's Fools last year, and it's it's so big. I I have I have to take weeks off of it just so I can catch up with the emails. So, um, I'm trying to get a hold of myself. Um, but what you mention is um, to review after you work with spirits and scrying, especially your entire experience mentally. And that was something I wish I knew as a young magician 
because I didn't discover that idea till I, I read through Rudolf Steiner as a teenager. So you talk about going through your ritual experience with the spirit and then taking actual time to review the entire experience mentally. Right. I think a lot of people might actually overlook this. That's why I'm high. That's why I wrote, I wrote literally 12 lines of notes on this one point in my book, in the back of your book with, with ink. Yeah. I wrote, I wrote in your book with ink all through the entire 170 pages. It's covered with my ink markings. <laughs> I'm glad it's been put to good use. So that's good. It's a paperback. I will buy your first edition signed or the binders proof for 175 from miskatonicbooks.com today. One of the two versions. I don't know which version because they both look really pretty. Cool. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, yeah, reviewing stuff and, and going back over and, and trying to find details. That was one thing that Ben and I did too. We would uh, debrief <clears throat> after every working and um, make sure we got all the details and things that we experienced and what we were thinking and feeling afterwards. And, and I include those debriefs um, a lot in the books. And I think it adds a lot to fully appreciating the uh, experience and, and getting a fuller account of what transpired because so much can go on and the senses can be uh, flooded with all kinds of information. So I think it's a, it's a good idea to, to do that and, and record it all down. So you get, get as much out of your workings and, and uh, what transpired as much as possible. You know what, one thing I got from you was that um, in the golden dawn, I always never, I would do basic ritual work so much, like so much that I never really felt that I took advantage of the opportunities provided me when I actually had a fully manifested spirit in the temple and your, your work really made me realize, look, you have an amazing opportunity here. Why not, you know, try to take the whole cake, like just go for the full shebang, just like go wild. Did you ever have that kind of experience of like holding back with spirits? Um, yeah, there's been some quite a few experiences um, that I had with with ones for particular, like when we um, we did our evocation. Of, I think of both uh, Uriel and, and Metatron. Um, it was kind of the things where we I think we bit off more than we could chew, and and uh, it was it became very difficult to uh, control the the flow of the operation, or even remember questions, or even remember I was doing something magical to begin with because it was just kind of a an overbearing kind of flood i don't think you know it wasn't attacked or anything by the angels i just think even the the portions of their being uh there that they were it was it was simply overwhelming and difficult to uh keep the flow of the ritual and the, and the questionnaire and to get a, an idea of what was transpiring because it was um, in some cases it was very alien in the sense of just foreign. It was just so otherworldly and, and, and different. It was hard, I think, for our minds to really um, comprehend everything that was going on in the nature of their being and uh, to just the, their presence being there um, was such that, uh, I don't know, I just remember almost passing out. It was a, the one case during Metatron that I, I felt myself really losing consciousness like I, I was like I'm about to fall over I'm losing sight and senses and I can't think anymore and I remember being nervous because of 
just how much things were kind of taking over at that point. It's, 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 um, it's hard to explain it you know, is. how profound, like I, in my class, in my path working class yesterday, I was reading examples from my ritual diaries when I was like doing the final grades of the golden dawn 98 to 99. And I noticed in my ritual diary, I would say, I felt like this, or then this happened, or then I couldn't do this. And like, it's just one line, but that's because a page of writing in your ritual diary speaks many more words than you actually can jot down, right? So it's like, if I said, I felt this, it usually meant that I felt this in an overwhelming capacity. Do you, do you have much of a sense of, of that same experience? In your own documentation of the profundity of your experiences yeah definitely and that's that's uh definitely what it was and then going back and then you sort of say that in your book right you sort of say that um uh this is the realm of, of symbolism and metaphor like you know regular our conscious mind can't really digest what's happening to us in these realms right even we approach them soberly without antheogens it's Definitely. still overwhelming for sure. And that's why, yeah, we, we never needed any. And you don't um, need them, man. Stare at a point on the wall for 15 minutes. You'll have a psychedelic experience. I guarantee you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey, um, and I hate to cut us short and everything, but my wife has really given me the, the uh, impatient thing. And I, th I think we've kind of run. Is this what she meant when she said, you don't know what it's like to actually live with Exactly. That. Yeah. It sucks. So they're didn't yeah. Had food on once I've once I've read your second book, whether I pay two seventy five for a signed first edition or one seventy five through MiskatonicBooks.com for a uh, beautiful binders edition, whether I do either of those, can we do a part two? And can she come on for the second half? Yeah, that'd be great. I'm sure she'd she'd like to as well. So final good. question out the door, brother. Okay, Cassiel. You say the angel Cassiel. Correct pronunciation: Cassiel. But the Hebrew says kafziel, kof pe tzadi. Kof pe tzadi is kafts. So is the reason you say the correct pronunciation is kasael because the angel said it that way? And trust me, I'm not joking at all when I say this, but angels will often say things in ways that we don't expect them to say them, whether it's Hebraic, Enochian, or some other fucking language. So kasiel. Do you believe that Cassiel is the correct pronunciation of Kafziel in, uh, in Hebrew? Or what's the deal? I'm just, it's the only thing that jumped um, out at me. No, in your I don't whole, call it the correct. Whole book. I think it's just a, uh, yeah, just a translation. And, and uh, I think I was used to referring to him that way. Um, I, honestly, I mean, his name being, you know, a Jewish word and, and derivative that way. And, um, they seem to really appreciate. We even asked in the second book, like, you know, does language matter? What's better and everything? And they actually I talk about that all the time on this podcast. Yeah. And they, you know, they talk about the, the appropriateness and the, um, uh, the power behind the, the Hebrew language and, and how that is, but they still like acknowledge, you know, going back to the, the Jesus, um, parallel and everything and and even though it's it's not even very close and sometimes they know what's being talked about and and referenced but um the importance in in the name i think pronouncing it as you can um purposefully and well when when you know is is a good idea i'd say work with that but that the angels and beings so on and so forth will respond they recognize when their name is being 
spoken, even if it's, it's what it is, is a translation, you know, it's, it's just like, like, again, Jesus and everything, it's, you have the original language, and it usually gets translated into Greek, and then to Latin, and then, you know, something else, and, and then you eventually come up with this name that's, might sound or look kind of close, um, but sometimes can be very different, but they know it's being referenced to the same, the same concept, the same entity, um, so on and, and so forth. So um, I don't think, you know, Cassiel sending it that way, I don't think that was the original way it was pronounced, sounded or, or named that way. But, so when you, you vibrate know, it, do you, what, would you do Cassiel or Kaftziel? Uh, the, definitely the, the second one as much as I can, even though I'm not a linguistic expert by any stretch of the well, mean. You know, I'm glad you said that because honestly, whether it's entheogenically or not, my experience with everything from Hebrew magic to Enochian magic is like, we sound like children. We're just, that's why the vibration is so important because it's not about the enunciation. It's about the vibration. Right. Yep. And I think when you put the, the proper intent and voice and uh, speaking voice, it'll have to be another conversation, but um, yeah, learning to, to speak or to sing those um, when, when certain things line up, even if it's a foreign language, when it's done correctly, there's a lot of power behind it. Amen. Hey, um, do you want to, do you want to do a giveaway for my subscribers for one of your courses? Is that something you're interested in? Um, a giveaway? Yeah. Uh, if somebody is interested, they can, they can, uh, course and sign up and, um, yeah, I like to do promotions and stuff. Would but, you do a uh, promotion giveaway? So everyone who comments on the YouTube video of this gets put in a hat and I draw it on my next podcast with Steven Skinner and whoever gets drawn gets a free admission to one of your classes. I'll have to give me a chance to, to think about that. Um, that, that might be in that sometimes I don't mind and I like to, to help people that are truly interested, but I'm still new to the, to, out the podcast world. Yeah. I have to consider the, all the students and people that, that paid, it's not a cheap course and everything, but they, they paid quite a bit to be in it. And everything. how much is your next course? Um, all three of them, they're, uh, around, uh, 272, 300 something dollars to, for the course. Well, I'm, I'm doing a Jason Newcomb's course on grimoires this month because I won it, which I shouldn't have even been in the draw, but I was in the draw because I showed up. So I won and uh, I'm definitely planning on doing yours and David Heimsmith so that this year I'm doing all of that because, you know, it doesn't matter how good you get at any of this shit. Like you should keep learning from other people who focus on really doing the work. eh? Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah. So God bless you for a man. Just fucking putting in the work and like you've made so many magicians who probably would have been flaky into serious practitioners i think we all owe you a, a, a big debt of thanks i appreciate that well and thanks has been a pleasure to, to connect and to talk with you and yeah learn more about you and, and what you've done as well it's it's always something that i find fascinating well i look forward to talking to uh, ben maybe you can hook me up with that guy if you still talk to him um, yeah, definitely. definitely. <laughs> because I would love to talk to him. Just like we could do, like an entire first 20, 30 minutes Asquelga in Irish. Yeah, talk yeah, about definitely. Irish shit, and mm -hmm. uh, it would be it would be really great to have you guys in Prague with us in twenty twenty two. But Excellent. but uh, yeah, I mean, the world's shrinking and growing at the same time. So I'll let you get to dinner with your wife, and uh, if you want to give away to, uh, a, a free admission to one of your courses on my thing, I'm definitely going to be taking your courses because 
I'm excited to dive into grimoire work because I'm just, I'm super traditional GD and the grimoire world is very new to me and I'm super excited to uh, explore it. And thank you for providing such a smooth gateway into that. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm glad you find find it useful, so. Yeah, yeah, like your book has serious insights. So folks, Gateways Through Stone and Circle and for you can get that for like 20 bucks on Amazon and gateways through light and shadow. Mm-hmm. There's a sale special edition on it. Miskatonic books for 175 people. If you don't buy it, you'll regret it. It's like buying a black Lotus in magic, the gathering, do it. God bless you all. And Ashen Chassan Fratter, my friend, thank you very much. This has been a fucking honor. I appreciate it, sir. It's great talking to you too and have a great uh, rest of the evening and look forward to talking again. I'm just about to go get some changa for a ritual. All right. <laughs> Take care. Ask your Google what changa is. Changa. Promise me. Promise me you'll Google changa and watch Ramdas. Okay, we'll do. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, but I'm not. So, shalom, shalom, brother. Yeah, shalom. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature, as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk That's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now. Hermetic Science Enterprises.co.uk